Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Bant, and along with me on this journey revisiting 80s movies is my co-host, Jason Masick. Hello, Jason. Okay, Bill, he's a man from outer space, and we're taking him to his spaceship. Well, can he just beam up? This is reality, Bill. That's right, listeners. Today we'll be discussing with spoilers of plenty the 1982 family sci-fi drama E.T. The Extraterrestrial, starring Henry Thomas, Drew Barrymore, and Dee Wallace. Directed by Steven Spielberg, this movie is rated PG with a running time of one hour and 55 minutes. This movie was nominated for nine Oscars, winning four of them for Best Sound, Best Effects Visual Effects, Best Effects Sound Effects Editing, and Best Music Original Score. Nominations include Best Film Editing, Best Cinematography, Best Writing Screenplay Written Directly for the Screen, Best Director, and Best Picture. E.T. the Extraterrestrial is celebrating its 40th anniversary this month. So what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is What's on the Box. Take it away, Jason. Steven Spielberg's heartwarming masterpiece of love between a young boy and a visitor from another planet has quickly become the most popular film of all time. Filled with unparalleled magic and imagination that made audiences around the world laugh and cry, E.T. the Extraterrestrial follows the moving story of a lost little alien who befriends a 10-year-old boy named Elliot. While E.T. learns about life on Earth, Elliot learns that friendship knows no earthly bounds. Overflowing with memorable performances, a stirring musical score, and scenes of wonderment, E.T. invites everyone to share the thrill of its magic touch. It's more than a movie. It's an experience you'll never forget. E.T., the extraterrestrial. Oh, Bill Vance, this is it, man. This movie came out 40 years ago. 40 years ago. Crazy. Where does the time go? I don't know. Hey, man, it's a real pleasure to be covering this particular movie with you tonight. I mean, this movie is it. This is the movie that represents the child in all of us. Innocence, discovery, wonderment, friendship, family, connection, and love. I tell you, it's like that Spielberg guy knew what he was doing. Certainly did. Talk about hitting it out of the park. And he was so worried about that this was not going to be embraced by audiences. Unbelievable to think that now. This is as big as it gets right here. So... Uh, you ready to get into this one? Yeah. So uh, let's talk about some of our earliest memories of E.T. Jason, start us off. All right, my friend. I remember that summer of 1982, having heard the buzz all around it and anticipating going to see this movie. It makes me remember how excited I was in general when our family would make plans to go see a movie. And of course, like nowadays, you you make a plan with whomever you're going to see it with or with yourself if you're going by yourself. And I do enjoy going to a movie by myself these days as well. But back then when I was a kid, I mean, it was an event and it was scheduled and you would the days ahead of time, you just count down the hours and the minutes and be like, I know we're going to this theater on Friday at this time. And I've just heard so much about this movie and how impactful it is. And I was nine years old in the midst of a Star Wars craze and a Star Wars haze. So what could possibly top Star Wars? And this was released right smack dab in the middle of it all. 
So I saw it. And I just remember falling into the adventure of this story told really like from a child's point of view, uh, the discovery of it all. These words you're going to hear, and I apologize if it becomes redundant, but it's just a fact. Uh, discovery and wonderment are the two words that are going to be repeated throughout this podcast. And I just, yeah, remember becoming attached to E.T. as Elliot did. I was Elliot. And I wondered and wondered what it would be like. What would it be like if I met an alien? If I were the first one to meet the alien? I mean, what would I do? I don't know. It's just, it just blew my mind as a kid. It's all that, the what ifs. I remember what I thought was a, a genius move was using the Reese's Pieces to lure E.T. into his home, that being Elliot's home, not realizing at the time that it was actually genius product placement. <laughs> yeah, I had no pieces. idea what Reese's Pieces was up until that point. There you go. Uh, and I didn't really know what product placement was either. So I just thought, oh, no, good idea. Put the, the tasty little treats down for the this creature to uh, consume and follow the path, you know, literally leaving breadcrumbs. Man, I remember as a kid, the gosh, the heartbreaking scenes with E.T. getting sick. These government agents slash scientists and the white biohazard suits and the, all the white tents and just white upon white and stark, sterile feeling of it. It was scary. It was extremely upsetting to me as a kid. So that's a clear early memory for me. I loved, of course, speaking of Star Wars, all the Star Wars references, uh, especially Elliot describing his action figures. We'll talk about probably there's a whole Halloween sequence and we may talk about an appearance by Yoda, but I love the Star Wars references, of course, as a kid, because that was my number one favorite at that time. And um, yeah, I mean, a lot of this stuff may come up in favorite scenes and moments, so I won't get too uh, deep into it here. But I recall as a kid just loving the, the brief romance between Elliot and the pretty girl from school. And hey, it's impossible impossible to think of this movie without the iconic score by my man j dub john williams strikes again yeah absolutely so as a kid already being a john williams fan this music just it grabbed me and uh stuck with me for some time so uh and to this day this movie, you know, as a memory of mine, just enhanced my love of the magic, the magical nature of movies, that movies could sustain such a level of wonderment and not be Star Wars. <laughs> they did it. Spielberg did it. He achieved that. It was like, oh, wait, this isn't Star Wars yet. It's still blowing me away. This can be done. Absolutely mind blowing. I believe this was the first Steven Spielberg film. I, as far as I can recall, this is a memory that I loved as a kid. And really began my Spielberg fandom associating the man with the films. Although I, of course, loved Raiders of the Lost Ark and we've covered that. It was a little bit scary, as I mentioned in our pod, for me as a kid. And I, I wouldn't grow to adore that more until a few years later. And the same goes for, you know, even his earlier film, Jaws. And lastly, but not least, I mean, an extremely quotable film. And I, I recall as an early memory, E.T. Phone Home. I mean, it was the quote and it was quoted all the time at school. So just mostly just loving memories, early memories of this all time classic. How about you, Bill Ben? I think for this movie, for me, because I was trying to go back and think about was my first memory of this movie. And I think outside of the Star Wars films, this was the one film everyone in the neighborhood was talking about. Like when they saw it, then yep. you need to see it. 
And when you saw it, you need to tell the other kids in the neighborhood, they need to see it. That's exactly right. And I remember our neighbors across the street. um, Her name was Trudy Desmond. She was two years older than me. And she was the first one I knew in our block that saw it. And I remember her telling me that how she was bawling, crying throughout the movie. And I'm like, oh, you cried in the movie? Whoa. And then she's telling me what happened. So I knew E.T. was going to die in the movie. She gave it. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Exactly. Before Twitter. Before spoiler alerts were even called spoiler alerts. And um, I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty crazy that you're crying during a movie. And so here here I'm thinking I'm going to go see this movie. And I probably saw this maybe the third or fourth week in release. And I'm pretty sure my mom took me. I can't, I can't even remember who I went with, but I remember I crying also, even though I knew he was coming back. I still was bawling like, like a baby in the theater. Sure. Sure. And um, it was the same thing. Then I, you know, came home and started telling my friends that hadn't seen it yet. Oh, you got to go see this movie. This movie's great. It's so much fun. And I mean, E.T. was just everywhere that whole summer. You couldn't drive by a movie theater without seeing E.T. on the marquee. Right. And Reese's Pieces commercial was like every other commercial. Absolutely. And I remember um, when we were on vacation at the end of the summer. And, you know, this is the end of August where we normally go. And, you know, E.T. is still playing everywhere. Someone in my family had bought the Reese's Pieces. And they used to have that commercial where the, they would make the Reese's Pieces would make the like the E.T. logo. And I took all the Reese's Pieces and did the same thing. And then my mom was like, you have to eat all these. And I was, uh, <laughs> and I wasn't really a big fan of Reese's Pieces. So I, I snuck them off and just threw them in the trash. That's hilarious. Are you not a fan of Reese's Pieces no. still to this day? Yeah. I never thought that peanut butter tasted very peanut buttery. Hmm. It just didn't do it for me. I could understand. I don't know if I was really a fan of the candies, but I was definitely a fan of the cups. Oh, yeah. Those I love. Yeah. And still, I mean, well, that, I yeah, think that's the thing still. because the peanut butter taste in the cups is so much different from the Reese's pieces. Right. I get that. Okay. Okay. Just have to differentiate, differentiate there. And the colors uh, yeah. were so lame. It was like fall colors, you had yellow, orange, and like a dark brown. It's like, that wasn't even like M&Ms had fun colors. Right. Reese's pieces had lame colors, <laughs> but yeah, I remember like then going to school and drawing pictures of E.T. And wow, it just really took over. I mean, outside of Star Wars, I think that was the one movie that just really took over. Everyone talked about that one. It was a phenomenon. Yes, it was. It really was. It's definitely a movie that stuck with me for a long time. And yeah, I was just really excited to to revisit it again. Just watch it and, and see if it still had that same impact. 100%. Absolutely. And I should have included in my early memories the fact that this is a tearjerker and of course, I cried as a kid. And, you, you know, you talk like I mentioned the scary government agents and the scene where uh, not only E.T., but Elliot are both sickly and it's very effective, impactful, and it is really upsetting. And then only to in spoiler alert for those listeners for any reason that have not seen this movie, <laughs> then, of course, he is revived and only to then leave in the end and now it's just waterworks. You're just going to cry again. <laughs> like, what the hell? And that was the thing, too, because I didn't really understand the whole connection thing. Like, I, I kind of remember asking, like, why, right. why is that happening? Like, I didn't understand why it was happening, but I kind of understood they were connected somehow. But I didn't understand how that was happening, if that, make, if that makes any sense. It makes a, a, a million percent sense to me, because I'm going to get into that, I think, a little bit in my initial thoughts. Okay. 
if you're ready to get into that segment, uh, because yeah, those were outstanding and wonderfully entertaining early memories, Bill Bant. So thank you for those. Uh, I especially love that when you can remember the name of what was your neighbor's name? Trudy Desmond. Trudy Desmond. Yep. Great name. Isn't it funny that when we recall either our neighbors' names, like the kids' names from grade school, high school, we go, oh yeah, of course, that's the perfect high school name. Or that would make a great name for a character in a story I'm writing or script I'm writing. Right. It's always, always every name you just, and that's another one. Trudy Desmond, of course, that was your neighbor that came over. Like it's right out of a Spielberg movie. Yeah. Trudy comes over and ruins the movie for you or something or spoils it. You know, I was on the front steps of our house. That's where she told me. I just love that stuff. So initial thoughts. E.T. the extraterrestrial. Man, as soon as this film starts with the opening credits what is going on with this creepy score? The music is ominous and creepy. I did not remember that at all. It's kind of, and I'm like, wait a minute. What what, what did I, did I read the wrong movie? It really reminded, reminded me of actually the Jerry Goldsmith score from Alien. Oh, yeah. It had kind of a bit of a, it had an echoey effect and a little bit of a ghostly tone to it, like this resonating tone. And so I thought that was extremely off-putting. It, it, it threw me off. But then, of course, John Williams, the, the more uh, memorable score kicks in once the credits come to a close. And we see the image of E.T.'s spaceship in the forest. In the redwoods. Anyway, so that was my first initial thought of the very beginning of the movie. I didn't remember seeing the actual plant life and or vegetation growth within the alien ship. I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, am I watching the special edition by accident? Right. I I, the same that's thing. exactly what I thought. And I'm still I'll have questions for you regarding that. We'll get that. It will get into that a little bit later, probably in fun facts and trivia, because there were a couple of different versions of this film. It was the 20th anniversary edition that had this special. Yes. There was additional scenes and updated effects, et cetera. And so I was thinking the same thing. Which version am I watching? Because it wasn't specific. Uh, I was watching this on Voodoo as it happens. Anyway, so I wasn't sure. This is just great watching this because I had heard another podcast that did a great episode on this film because you could probably, there's a lot of those podcasts out there covering it this year, rightfully so. It's the 40th anniversary. And really just this other podcast pointed out that, yeah, of course, this movie is truly from a child's perspective. And it's just fun to watch throughout, outside of Elliot and the family's mother, uh, played by Dee Wallace, their mom, whose character's name is Mary. We do not see any of the adults' faces throughout this film. Throughout the first half of the film, we don't see any other adults from the waist up. Yeah, not until the third act. It's all from the waist down, as if you were a child just walking around and you can't, you're just not craning your neck to look upward. All you see is from the waist down. And it's just, it's, it's just a stroke of genius from Spielberg to shoot it that way and to get that child's perspective. I do love the entrance of the character known as Keys. Because I just mentioned we only see in the first half of the film these adult figures from the waist down and our antagonists, which are these shadow figures, a.k.a. government agents, who then become somewhat of these mysterious scientists. Well, the very opening, or I should say the very entrance of these government agents, we see this character known as Keys because he's wearing a keychain on his belt and they continually jingle and uh, shake around. 
And because of the music that kicks in at that moment when these mysterious shadow figures appear in the forest, and the score is in this moment very Indiana Jones-esque, it's just this great, I love Spielberg's framing to get a little film geek on you a little here's that opening shot with the cars pulling into the forest, because we understand that these are kind of the quote unquote bad guys from the audience's point of view, you know, the music kind of denotes that and they're looking for the spaceship. We can assume that much that they somehow uh, were aware of its landing and now they're trying to pinpoint its whereabouts. Well, the cars pull up with their headlights on, it's in the middle of the night and you see in the foreground of this particular shot, the rear of the car and the exhaust pipe in the foreground, and you see the exhaust coming out, the smoke. And it's as if these are clearly the bad guys because it's pollution juxtaposed against the life of nature, because we've seen already uh, E.T. kind of wandering around the forest a bit and and collecting plant life uh, along with his fellow aliens. But I just love that. I, I just really stood out to me. It was like, okay, this is clear. These are the bad guys. And it's just kind of creative framing with the exhaust pipe in the foreground, the great soundtrack by John Williams. And then we see keys. Anyway, uh, I don't know how I feel about watching this in ultra HD. It looked great, but Bill Bant, man, I have an attachment to the grainy films of yesteryear. My memories are a bit grainy. And I want to relive those memories. So I want grainy movies, damn it. Or at least some semblance of a film look, right? I have that attachment to it because that's what I grew up with. So watching this in UHD, again, looks great. But yeah, some of the effects or whatever stand out then a little bit where it's a little janky or not smooth, you know, whatever it is, there's the little defects are a little bit more apparent. Yeah, whatever. But it's still... More than that takes a bit of the magic out of it for me. I kind of wanted to see it. I want to watch the like an original print. I don't know. It's funny. I, I understand what you're saying, but I did like seeing it in a nice crisp presentation. I get it. Yeah, sure. Sure. I'd still abuse. I mean, it's a beautiful film. I mean, mm-hmm. it's Spielberg and the way it's shot and his use of colors, etc. There's just something about how Spielberg captures the family dynamic at a table. This is initial thought of, I'll have this for any Spielberg movie we do, or a lot of them at least. I think of the table scene in Jaws, Roy Scheider and his kids. And I believe it's, you know, he's a little drunk on wine and he tells his kid, he's like, give me a kiss or give us a kiss. I believe he says it. And the kid says, mm-hmm. why? It's because I need it. And it's just that kind of thing. There's a natural dynamic with the family in Close Encounters. Wonderful scene at the table when we see our guy, uh, now, why can't I think of his name? Richard Dreyfuss. Thank you very much. Losing his mind and creating the devil's mountain. What is it? Mountain out of his mashed potatoes. Yes. And his child, his son is looking at him and breaking down in tears because he knows his dad's going insane. And there's this dynamic and the little girl is like screaming out random things. And Terry Gar is freaking out across. And it's again, family dynamic at the table. And here in E.T., there's just some great stuff happening at the table where he, there's a lot of overlapping dialogue. It's very naturally flowing. It's the way it's shot. He just has a, a way of capturing the table discussion with a family that's very kind of realistic and relatable. And it just feels like kind of a lot of the table sequences I, I had as a kid with my family, I guess, uh, with my sister and my parents. I just wanted to comment on that. Something. No, it's to, a good to, call on that too, because it really is that way. It is. You think you sit down, everything's ready. Then it's like, oh, I forgot the ketchup. Someone get up to catch up. Oh, I need a napkin. You know, it's the, oh, the an phone starts ringing. Right. Yeah. And Not everyone's a, yeah. to the table. You say your line. I say my line. Next person says their line. No, that's 
what he captures there is what family people deal with on a night by night basis. You're absolutely right. And this is where like Spielberg is a genius. We'll say that time and time again. Everyone is aware of this, but he literally knows how to set the table, pun intended. This is the setup. We see them, their dynamic. We actually see the kids at first. It's uh, Elliot's brother, older brother, Mike, and his friends, and they're gathered around the table and under a lamp and they're playing a role. What game are they playing? I didn't know this until this time. It's Dungeons and Dragons. It is Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. And do they have incense lit? Is that the smoke that's coming up? Oh, I missed that. They have. It, it seems like that's part of the added atmospheric thing that they're going for while playing the game, which is great. Because I was like, oh, my God, is one of these kids smoking a cigarette? Or did Elliot's uh, Elliot Mike's mom actually put a cigarette out in an ashtray on that table? Because you can see the smoke rising. Mm-hmm. And I watched that scene again. I'm like, oh, they must have lit incense to enhance the experience of playing D&D at the table. But that's a fun sequence with all the kids talking over one another and they had ordered pizza. You just get to, again, sets the table. And we get a lot of this in the beginning of the movie with either the incense at the table, the fog that's outside. There's a great part then later on where they uh, Elliot's got to wash the dishes and he goes to the sink and the steam rises as he's looking out of the window in wonderment because it's just after he's had a, a somewhat strange encounter with uh, some strange being that he's not uh, sure what it is. Anyway, Elliot's got balls, man. Bill, I'm watching this going, I don't think I'd be that brave, right? Because watching this too as a kid, when we were thinking, oh, wow, uh, what if, what would I do if I met an alien? He's pretty ballsy to go out there in the middle of the night and kind of try to confront this creature. Uh, So I just thought that was kind of interesting. But the point I want to make is to give real credit to Henry Thomas. Oh, yes. Because without him, without his performance, this doesn't work. And totally agree. Because he sells it. I buy the fact that he is not as much scared. You see the, the fear in his face and in his eyes and in his voice when he can barely mutter the words when he's trying to scream, Mom, Mom, Michael. But he is overwhelmed with the fascination and the wonderment again, and this discovery. And that is what takes over. And that's what grabs me as an audience member. And Henry Thomas sells it a hundred percent. It's like, yeah, I get it. This is a once in a lifetime moment and experience. How do I explore this opportunity? So Henry Thomas gets us on board from the get. And it's funny. I was thinking he actually like saves the cat at this moment. Like, and he's fascinated by and in wonder of the cat here, that being E.T. as the cat in the scenario. Can't say enough about all the child actors. I mean, that's just an overwhelming initial thought. This is well documented. Just talking about Henry Thomas, Drew Barrymore as Gertie, the younger sister. And a shout out to Robert McDaughton, who plays the older brother, Mike. They totally sell every moment. I'm glad you said something because he always gets bypassed. And I was like, Completely. oh, I got to mention that he does a great performance also. Mike's got important moments in this film and yes. he's great. So all credit to Robert McNaughton as Mike. Here's something I didn't remember. How much Elliot and his family were affected by the separation of the parents, by the fact that their dad had left. We understand when I say Spielberg setting the table, the family's having dinner around the table. And we learn that Mary, the mom, has separated from their dad and he's in Mexico with Sally. And this 
really has an impact on the story and Elliot's existence in this at this time at this age but also mike's existence and at his age and gertie's existence and especially of course mary the mother and it was just more apparent at this time now watching this as an adult okay this is uh having a has a real impact on this family and affects who they are at this moment and how then when et enters the scene how he impacts them a certain way because of what's missing in their lives it's pretty important We'll probably talk about it a little bit too. Again, in the from the research, there's a little bit of autobiographical influence here from Spielberg because of uh, his own parents' uh, divorce and how he was inspired to come up with the idea for this. You had mentioned this funny, you know, I, I was really looking forward to watching this movie again today because it's weird how this is not necessarily a rewatchable for me, meaning I don't go to it, uh, you know, every year or watch scenes from it every year, every other month or whatever it might be. And it's not because it's not great. We know it's one of the best movies of all time. It's just not one of those movies I need to see on repeat. It's more of a must revisit from time to time. It's more of a revisitable is what I'm calling it. Yeah. (laughs) Which I find kind of interesting. And I'm kind of like, why isn't it something I would watch all the time? But we may we'll we'll maybe save that for deep questions later on. I do love that we never really know anything about those government agents that we don't need to know anything about these faceless shadow figures who are the quote unquote bad guys or antagonists and throughout we we learn that Keys himself is not really the enemy. There is no real antagonist in this. They the adults in this simply lack understanding and seek understanding of this alien but they can't really identify or relate or understand the alien because they're adults. They're encumbered by their analytical nature as adults with too much knowledge and experience. And it's just another great theme that comes through in the latter half of the movie and rings true. Man, uh, my last initial thought, yeah, this film just always sparks the imagination again. It's uh, really, really magical. So uh, that's it for my initial thoughts. How about you, Bill Bant? For me watching this, and I probably... Last time I saw this was maybe about four years ago because I tried showing this to my kids and realized they were just too young for this at the time and they didn't get it and it just seemed too slow to them. And yeah, I should have waited. But uh, watching it this time, I was surprised about the amount of time that Peter Coyote is actually in the movie. I didn't realize how many times they actually cut to him. There's the scene where Elliot's in the woods and he's dropping the Reese's Pieces and he comes across Peter Coyote there trying to figure out i totally forgot about that i just thought he was in the woods by himself and then it would seem every other scene they would cut to them trying to pinpoint where et is right i didn't realize it happened as much as it did i thought maybe once when they're driving through with the van but all the other time i totally forgot about it's a great device throughout the film i thought about that too bill and it's, it's a great point because they keep cutting back to like you said, the government agents kind of on the search as if there's this ominous presence that's ever existed, you know, throughout the movie. Like, don't forget, you're having a good time going on this journey with Elliot and E.T., but don't forget, there's an evil lurking in the background that's approaching slowly and surely throughout. It's good stuff. Yeah, because you really think 
as a kid, they were bad guys. And then when you watch it this time, right? No, they're really just trying to make contact. And then they're actually trying to help ET. They're trying to save him and figure out why he is here. Right. So it's interesting to see your perspective as a kid and as a perspective now. Absolutely. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. I was surprised how much the movie still tugged at my heartstrings, um, but it was at different moments. The one scene that really got me was when Keys talks to Elliot about et sure you know and he's asking him like oh i saw the machine out in the forest what does it do and elliot's like i I can't tell you he came to me he came to me and then key says a line whereas ellie he came to me too i've been wishing for this since i was 10 years old i don't want him to die what can we do that we're not already doing and then he he follows it up with i'm glad he met you first and that line got me I was like, damn it, 40 years. And I'm still like, I'm getting a little misty right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then the other scene was at the end with the goodbyes. And I think as a kid, I was crying when Gertie was saying goodbye. But this time it was just the hug. It was the hug between Ellie and E.T. And I was like, damn it, this is 40 years and I'm getting misty eyed again. I'm going to call out a few other moments when we get into it, Bill, because I was the same way. And I said the exact same thing. Damn it, Spielberg, damn it, you did it again. I'm 48 years old. And what are you doing, man? Stop it. Now I'm crying. Oh, now they're hugging. Okay, now they're hugging. Damn it. You got me. And then, like you said, there's moments that creep up now as an adult that you wouldn't expect would resonate with you. You're looking forward to the moments that that are iconic and made you cry as a kid when you first saw it. And now it's the in-between moments that you appreciate because of the different themes that resonate with you as an adult. And you're like, oh, Spielberg, Melissa Matheson, the writer, you're good. You're good. Yeah. You got me. And watching this again, and you mentioned it too, just the performances. I mean, Henry Thomas knocks it out of the park because if he doesn't sell that that ugly little alien is real, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I would say Drew Barrymore's performance was okay, but she's just so damn adorable. It doesn't matter what comes out of her. That's what it is. She's just so adorable. Oh, her acting's eh, but she's just so damn adorable. I don't care what she says. And then I really probably the most adorable or cutest performance of all time. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just, she's way too cute. She's great. Yeah. And then just with uh, Robert McNaughton, it reminded me a lot of me. You know, when I saw this movie the first time, he wasn't the dickhead brother. Like, yeah, he antagonized his brother, but you knew he cared for him and loved him. And it was kind of like me and my brother, five and a half years apart. But growing up, we did so many things together when we could. And I saw a lot of that in Michael and in Elliot. So that that really reminded me a lot of my childhood watching this. And I was like, yeah, see, you don't always have to be the a-hole brother who's always putting it down or right. the fact that Ellie can show Michael the alien, like most other movies, he would have to hide E.T. from his brother as much as his mom. And maybe it would just been between him and Gertie. So the fact that all three kids knew, I kind of like that aspect of it too, because it was oh, yeah. a change in the family dynamic that you don't wouldn't normally see in movies. Right. Yeah. They have to work together. They actually work together as a team. It's fun to watch. And instead, instead of like antagonizing one another, trying to hide things from one another as if they don't trust each other or it's the bully big brother pitting one sibling against each other. They actually, it brings them together. Mm-hmm. It's cool. 
And then the last thing was just being able to sell ET to audiences. And the whole time I'm thinking like, what is it about this creature that we all fell in love with and accepted that this alien came from another planet and befriended this kid and we're all crying because he's dying. And it's the eyes. It's ET's oh, eyes. That they really the baby yeah, lives. That's what you are so focused on. And that's what sells it. And you had to get that right. You know, just like Yoda in Empire Strikes Back. If they don't get Yoda right, that movie doesn't work. It's the same <laughs> thing here. If they don't if the get puppet doesn't work. Yeah, there's there's nothing got a real problem. Yeah, and the same thing with ET. It's yeah, you know, you see all the um they were showing all the different sketches they were trying to do of, of the creature, and man, they went through all these drawings, and then it's like, how did they know that this was the one that was gonna work? Isn't it funny that you know we got Spielberg with Bruce the shark that didn't work for right. Jaws, and so it was extremely effective in not showing the shark, and then we come to ET and it's like, Ooh, that's not going to work this time. We got to show him at some point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have to show the alien. Mm-hmm. And just all the weird things that it does. Like the fact that it has heartburn all the time and it's the <laughs> glowing finger and, and it's neck goes up and down and just the neck you know, extension is great. Yeah, yeah. We just, we all ate it up. We just all ate it up. So it was just amazing that they nailed that. Just amazing that they nailed it. And that's, yeah, that's all I got from my initial thoughts. You know, that's great. Just let's talk about E.T., the creature, because I really was paying attention a lot more to the puppet and his movements and the motions throughout. And it's pretty cool because with animatronics and things like that, and obviously there were uh, at different times actors within the like suit, if you will, but the eyes are great. You see kind of the skin above his eyes, which are like eyebrows raising at different times. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the uh, elongated fingers. I think, what does he have? Four fingers on each hand? I could. I kept thinking, oh. it's like, is it three or four? It doesn't. He doesn't have a five digits, I don't think. He's got it's either. I think he's Not got three. Four. It's more than three. Yeah, I think he's got four. But it's just, it's cool. The use of the the shadows when he's pointing upward and you see the shadow of the finger kind of on Elliot's face at one point. I mean, there's iconic shots with the fingers and stuff. And it's great, of course, the glowing finger. But um, just the creature design unto itself, because with the extension of the neck, this when he's screaming, the d- sound design and obviously his voice, all of it putting it together. Yes, he's adorable in moments, but he can be creepy. You can see the dew on his skin at times. You can see he's an alien. He's still alien. He's not just this fuzzy little creature, warm, little, uh, adorable alien. He still can be scary in moments or if shot from a certain angle, you are reminded that he is an alien. And that's what I see now as an adult. It's great. I th- it was really smart. Really smart. Yeah. The only time I never really found it believable is when it ran. <laughs> everything else it did i believed i'm like oh yeah this is a real this is a real alien this is something that came down to earth and to visit us right the, the running just seemed weird to me that was the only issue i had it depended on how fast he was moving because i actually thought the shuffling was pretty comedic at times when he just kind of shuffles around mm-hmm. i thought it was kind of adorable in a way and i'll actually call out one moment where it's very creepy in the very beginning uh another point being that they made him short oh yeah of course He's a child's height. Duh. Smart, right? Mm-hmm. He's not going to work if he's six feet tall. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? You got to make him relatable to a kid. Mm-hmm. It's simple stuff like that, man. It's thought through, right? Somebody thought about it. 
Yeah, it's amazing that they got all that right. Great stuff, man. So it's uh yeah, let's move on to favorite scenes or moments. I have none. I have no favorite scenes or moments. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, so let's move on. Let's just move on to our conclusion. No. How to choose. How to choose. I'll start with one favorite moment, uh, unless you wanted to start. I just I, I don't no, know why ahead. I'm just taking the ball and running with it. And speaking go, of, go, go. of balls, just a quick shout out to the iconic scene. It's the very first scene between Elliot and E.T. And we do not see E.T. We know that Elliot has gone down the very long driveway to pay for the pizza that the kids have ordered. He goes back up with the pizza and something is rattling and uh, rummaging around in the backyard. And he goes to the backyard of his house and you got to love the lighting. It's just everything about this is cinematic when you have the shed in the backyard and there's a glowing light emitting from within and Elliot approaches and he hears something rattling around in there and he has a, it's a baseball that he throws the base. He just kind of underhand tosses it into the shed and within a good second, or it's only a couple of seconds, the ball pops out again, comes tossed back to Elliot and something's in there. Something threw the ball back and Elliot freaks out, steps on the pizza and runs back into the house and tries to get everybody's attention. Uh, so that's just an account. I have to give that a shot. The tossing the ball into the shed and having it tossed back to him is a classic moment. Yeah, it is a classic moment. Yeah, because then you kind of see the creature afterwards. Because then you see that, you know, they go out there in the shed and check everything out and think it's coyotes. And then they all go back in the house and then you see the hand come around. Yeah, that's cool. Ooh. <laughs> ooh, what is that? As a kid, you're just so excited. You're like, ooh, what is that? Uh, you sounded like E.T. in that moment. Like, oh, thank ooh. you. Ooh. So I'm just getting midway through just because I can't believe the scene made me laugh out loud again. And it's just a quick moment when we find out that E.T. and Elliot have the connection. Elliot's sent home from school because they're saying that he's intoxicated, right. even though we know he didn't drink. But E.T. was and Elliot's coming up the stairs and you hear Gertie in her room like, be good. Be right. good. Be, yeah. And Elliot's like, what is going on? And he goes into Gertie's room and Gertie's closing the closet. And she's like, be good, be good. And he kind of pushes her aside, opens the closet. And you see that Gertie dressed E.T. as a woman. I laughed out loud again. I just thought it was so funny. It's great. It's what a kid would do. Like It's what the little girl would do. It makes sense. And it is hilarious. And he looks hilarious. He looks pretty well made up she did a good job yeah. on that wig and that whole ensemble on et mm-hmm. very funny but then it's great too because then et starts talking to elliot and you know i was like whoa wait a second ellie knows my name and then we get into the et knows what his next step is and that's to try to call home and and get someone to come pick him up right i couldn't believe i laughed out loud again 40 years later still laughing at that it's great the movie can still surprise you mm-hmm Good call. My first favorite scene I alluded to earlier, and it is the family scene at the table near the beginning of the film. It's was surprisingly impactful for me. We've credited the child actors in this film, but I'm going to give a real shout out to Dee Wallace, who plays the mother, who plays Mary Taylor. She was a great 80s mom and a lot of other things. Cujo. Yeah, yeah. She's just, and she's great. Wonderful actress. Mm-hmm. So it, I had mentioned that this scene now, Elliot has had an encounter with E.T. and nobody believes him. And he's sitting there and he's depressed because nobody believes him. And you have Gertie there and you have Mike there and you have Mary. 
the mother and Mike's making fun of him as kind of the older brother would. He's like, Oh, did you see a goblin? Or maybe it was a leprechaun or a, what does he say? An alligator or reptile. Oh yeah. And then you've got the younger Gertie who's just mimicking Mike, which is hilarious. And it's Drew Barrymore being adorable as she's kind of chewing on her food, whatever it is they're eating. And Elliot's getting more and more upset. Why don't you believe me? Mike says something again, like, was it a leprechaun or something like that? Of course, Elliot then has an outburst. He stands up and says, it was nothing like that, penis breath. It's like, <laughs> just a great line. Yes. It's like, oh. And so the mother, Mary, is trying to be somewhat consoling. And then it's this touching moment when Elliot says, well, dad would believe me. And Mary says, well, you know what? Why don't you, you call him? Give him a call and you can talk to him. He says, I can't. He's in Mexico with Sally. And then you see this reaction on Dee Wallace's face where she tries not to show what she's feeling, but it's all in her eyes because her smile dissipates just ever so slightly. And then it goes even further in the scene and Mike's not happy with Elliot because he knows how it's affecting their mom. She gets up from the table, goes into the kitchen and Mike's like, I'm going to kill you. And Elliot's upset because nobody will believe him. And I love this scene because, again, it reinforces the fact that the father's missing from this family dynamic and it has an effect on all of them at different stages of their life. You can see where Gertie doesn't quite understand, which is a brilliant. She simply says, where's Mexico? Yeah. That because she doesn't even know what no, what's no, going on now, yeah, as you no wouldn't idea. at that age. We understand Elliot is missing his father. He wishes his father was there so he could connect with somebody and share something with someone who might be on his side. And then you have Mike, who's siding with his mom, who understands what his mom is going through. Mike's a little bit older and has a better understanding of it. And then we see Mary, who obviously is living through it. It's the relationship that she's lost. And you get it in just such a a short period of time through smart dialogue. It's well-written. And again, it sets the table for then someone to come in or something to come in to fill the void that has been left by the absent father. Great scene. Great scene. Uh, And then it ends with they're trying to figure out who's supposed to, you know, clear the table and whatnot. And it's Elliot's job to wash the dishes. And he goes over to the sink. And again, Henry Thomas has that look of wonderment that you buy hook, line and sinker. And he's at the sink with the water, the hot water running and the steam rises in his face as he's looking upward throughout the blinds in the window. And it's that like smoky effect and the mysterious effect. It's the music is like, God damn, they're smart. The way they do this, they just get you right into it. So uh, what's your next favorite moment and or scene? Yeah, I'm going to go with another moment yeah. just because I, I remember watching this in the theater and, and that was one of the scenes where everybody just started laughing. And, and it was the scene where uh, Mary's going to take Gertie to school. Elliot's leaving E.T. in the house for the first time by himself. Uh, Mary's about to leave the front door. You know, she's running late. We got to go. And she's about to open the door and she hears something upstairs. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's going to find out. And she walks upstairs and she looks around. And she goes into the closet and they have all those stuffed animals and they do the pan across and you just see E.T. Like E.T. knows exactly what to do. And he just stand there staring straight ahead, just like interacting as, and I just remember everyone in the theater just losing their mind. They just thought it was the funniest thing. 
Yeah, it was just a funny moment. It was just an- another funny scene. Just watching it again, it just it just made you you laugh out loud. It was like, oh, see, he kind of gets it too that he needs to stay away from the mom and what he kind of does at the spur of the moment just to, to figure out to hide among the stuffed animals and just wait for her to leave. I just thought it was a fun little moment. Oh heck yeah, it's genius, all of it. That look on ET's face when he's just posing as one of the stuffed animals. I mean, it's just priceless. I look forward to it every time. Yeah. It's just so fun. Makes me just, that's what's it's so inspiring about it. It's just, I want to go back and watch it again right now. So you're describing it. So another scene of mine that I guess I could say this is one of my favorite scenes. I, I, I'll i just call it my, my second favorite scene. They're all like in the first half of the movie because there's so much later on in this movie that is iconic and famous and everything. But I, these are the ones that, that resonate with me on this rewatch. And this particular scene is when Elliot has laid the trail of Reese's pieces and has gotten E.T. to follow that trail as he's picking up the pieces, comes up to the stairs in the in the house, and it's in the middle of the night. Everyone else is asleep, and E.T. follows Elliot back into Elliot's bedroom, and Elliot is fascinated with E.T., and E.T. is just starting to rummage around and try to figure out what this place is. And again, in the middle of the night, they're starting to both get a little bit tired. And this is the first signs of this empathic bond that Elliot and E.T. share, because as the movie goes on, we understand that E.T. and Elliot are connected. There is an empathic bond. They feel what each other is feeling. There was a connection has been made. And uh, you could call it symbiotic, you could call it psychic, but it is more empathic. It is more of an emotional bond, uh, which is explained near the very end by Mike as he's talking to one of the scientists. These are the first signs of this actual bond. It's just my favorite. A lot of it is due to uh, J-Dub's score, John Williams, the strings that are just kind of flowing and falling down. And like the harp, you hear that just the plucking of the strings as they make their first connection Elliot is just standing there, like almost falling asleep. And he's staring at E.T. with this just look of fascination. He kind of itches his mouth. And then E.T. mimics Elliot and itches his mouth. And then Elliot like touches his ear and E.T. touches his ear. And then Elliot holds up his hand and wiggles his finger and E.T. mimics that motion. And you're like, okay, they're connecting. This is cool. They're communicating for the first time for real. And... The best is, though, when you realize that they're really connected is because E.T.'s eyes start to droop a little bit. And it's a wonderful shot that's kind of over Elliot's shoulder. So it adds to like the sleepy effect of it because you see uh, E.T.'s eyes closing, just kind of hidden by Elliot's shoulder. And then it goes to Elliot and Elliot's eyes start to fall asleep. Combine that with John Williams' wonderful score, which is sleepy unto itself we actually watch Elliot E.T. fall asleep together. I adore that sequence, the sign of that empathic bond. Yeah, I'll be honest too. I think this is the first time watching this that I caught that this is when it all begins. I always thought it was once he goes downstairs to find the food and E.T. gets scared and he jumps. And I never realized until this time, I was like, oh yeah, they're both getting tired. It's almost like E.T. kind of imprints himself on Elliot and oh okay it starts here i thought it started later so it was yeah it was kind of good watch at this time like oh, okay this is where it all starts but yeah i'll have questions about that later yeah good call on that scene well i have a lot of moments i'm going to run through a few really quick go ahead 
So speaking of Elliot and E.T.'s connection, Elliot is now home, quote unquote, sick, which is is just great how he convinces his mom that he's sick. But he's going to explain to E.T. some of the everyday things about uh, human existence. And I love that this is where he introduces himself and I'm Elliot. And this just I love these moments when he then he picks up the Star Wars figures and he explains to him. He's like, well, this is Greedo and this is Lando Calarizian. And sometimes, you know, they can battle and they have laser. And then he puts that down. He's like, and this is a peanut, but it's not a real peanut. You can't eat it. It's a bank and you put money in it. And he's just going as a kid would explain random cool toys and fun things he has around his room. And how the hell would it make any sense to any alien at all? Yes. It's wonderful because that's what makes you think you're like, well, what would I do if I were a kid in that situation with an alien in my bedroom? How would I tell him? Yeah. Even as an adult, what would you try to explain? Yeah. When they have a completely different makeup, physiologically, biologically, emotionally, mentally, whatever it might be. But you have to try something. And that's what Elliot goes to. He goes to his toys and things like that. And it's just, I love that stuff, man. And you get the different perspectives where E.T. is just kind of watching him and staring at him. And you're going, oh, yeah, he probably doesn't understand a damn thing Elliot's doing or or talking about. But Elliot's trying. Uh, I love this short. This is a really brief moment that I totally forgot about because it could be easily overlooked or forgotten. But it stood out to me when Mike comes home. This is before he's right before he's introduced to E.T. for the first time. He's in his football uniform coming home from school. And he's got like, I think he's got his headphones on or whatever. He comes in and he's looking into the he's looking in the fridge and he's singing a song. Yeah. And he just does this thing where he's humming and singing. He's like, oh, no, no, no. he looks in the fridge, can't find anything. And then he actually sings, yeah, da, 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 nothing but health shit. And, and I'm like, that's hilarious. I didn't catch it the first time, but I was rewatching it going, oh, he actually is singing nothing but health shit because there's nothing tasty to eat in the fridge. It's all health shit. Right. I just think that's hilarious. So this is one of my all-time favorite moments from this movie, for sure. Gertie running into Elliot's room to see E.T. for the first time and all the screaming that ensues oh, yeah. is amazing and freaking hilarious because Mike is already in the room with Elliot and E.T. Mike is just kind of jaws dropped And he's knocked over the shelves and he's like, wow, this alien is not a goblin. It's a real alien. Then they're both just looking at E.T. and who stumbles in on the scene, but Gertie and she's sees E.T. and loses her mind. She screams. And as a result, E.T. freaks out. He screams. So you got them both screaming. (laughs) And one of my favorite shots is because then when mom's coming up and hears all this commotion, they all run into this wonderful, huge closet that we've already mentioned, this Jeez. big toy closet that is a, serves as a, basically a connector between Gertie and Elliot's bedrooms, Right, uh, which is so cool. I love the design of that. So there's all the screaming going on. They run into the closet and there's just this great shot where you see Gertie scream. She's running across the screen, screaming, and right behind her is E.T. with his arms flailing in the air going, ah! screaming right behind her it cracks me up every time because it's just total chaos i love that yeah it's a cute moment too because gertie goes busting in there because she wanted to give elliot a a card she made to get well and she ends up stumbling on et his fake sickness actually got him burned completely and of course when uh their mother comes into the room finally and, and everything is in disarray 
And Elliot's saying, oh, basically, I'm fixing up my room. I'm, you know, redecorating or whatever he says. Yeah. The excuse. D. Wallace comes right into the camera and says, this is no room. This is an accident. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. Uh, speaking of wonderment, though, and again, I'm just running through a lot of these moments when now it cuts back to uh, a moment of quiet. But it's the three kids in the closet just staring at E.T. as you would as a kid not saying anything. You just have them huddled together, these three kids, and all their mouths are just slightly opened, staring at E.T., and E.T. does the neck extension. It's just a wonderful shot. It's absolute wonder, wonderment personified. So the shot of the three kids staring at E.T. in the closet, it's just it's amazing. Uh, I can get into my second favorite scene, but I've been talking a lot. How about uh, how about you, my friend? Um, no, go into your next favorite scene because I think mine's probably after yours. So okay. yeah, it's better not to go back and forth if you're well, okay. Actually, technically, I guess I've had two favorite scenes. I'll make this my third one then. And uh, scene number three for me is what I'm calling E.T. and Elliot get wasted. Yes. Yeah, all right. So at this point, everybody's out of the house. Guess who has run of the house? That'd be E.T., everybody's gone yep. they left et all by himself so et's hungry he decides to investigate the food options in the fridge with uh the family dog actually i should say is there as well so et isn't yes. truly alone harvey's there and harvey's looking on as et goes through the fridge decides he's not a fan of potato salad tosses that aside meanwhile this is intercut with elliot in science class at school and so it's cutting back and forth and et well he sees, well, there's a six pack of uh, the banquet beer in the fridge. That's right. Coors banquet beer. Decides yeah. to crack one of those babies open and starts throwing them back. And he's feeling it. And at the same time, this is, again, just re-enhancing that empathic bond and or connection between E.T. and Elliot. So cutting back to Elliot in his science class, he starts feeling a little, little fuzzy, a little buzzed. And it's great because... The pretty girl in school is sitting next to him, kind of kitty corner behind him. And she's watching him because she clearly has a crush on him. And then Elliot looks back to her with such a great, dumb, drunk smile on his face. It's yes. priceless. I don't think I ever noticed before that she kind of liked him. I never caught on that before. You're right. Before the scene, there is a quick shot of her trying to say hi to him. And yeah. he kind of brushes her off. But we're like, oh, that's the pretty girl that comes in later in the science class. She already, yeah, I see. She's She already likes him. That's a good point. So during science class, they're about to dissect frogs on this particular day. So in the meantime, E.T.'s at home just pounding the banquet beers. And he starts walking around investigating the scene. He finds a speaking spell and decides to spell the word nuisance. I just think it's funny. <laughs> or it, the, the word nuisance is typed in there somehow. And uh, the TV's on. The afternoon television programs begin. And E.T.'s now playing with the speaking spell. He's watching the TV. He's drunk. Elliot's in class. Now he's drunk because he's feeling what E.T.'s feeling. Meanwhile, E.T. starts putting two two together because he starts reading a comic book that's been left out. And he's looking through the, the panels and the comic. And he can see that he can, oh, I can send it because it's a sci-fi comic and they're sending a signal into outer space. And so E.T. looks at a phone and he sees a phone and, and then he sees the speaking spell and he starts putting it together. Like I can send a single a signal into outer space. We can see that just from the visuals. We understand that. 
And throughout now we have Elliot back in the classroom and he thinks, oh, I can or need to save E.T. And how am I going to act that out in the moment? Because I'm drunk and just feeling what I'm feeling and I have to save E.T. So I got to save the frogs. And so all the frogs that are falling asleep due to the chloroform in this particular scene before there's to be dissected. Well, Elliot decides he's going to run around the classroom and set all those frogs free, which he does. And it just creates a chaotic scene. All the kids start screaming and they're running around. And now, meanwhile, you're going to have to help me out here, Bill, actually, because E.T. at home is watching a classic film and it's a romantic sequence. I don't know. I, do you know what movie it is that E.T. is watching? I haven't seen that one. It's a John Wayne Marine O'Hara film, but See, it's not one that I've seen. No yeah. more than I do. Cause I'm like, Oh, I should, I, I need to know what movie it is that E.T. is actually watching. I meant to do the same thing. and I forgot. Right. Regardless, it's a very romantic moment in the film where we have a guy like basically in a kind of an overcoat and a fedora and there's the pretty woman. It's like a classic film. So it's a dated period piece type of thing. And the, the there's this wind blowing and the man pulls the woman into him and kisses her. And of course, E.T.'s watching this getting swept up in the moment and thus Elliot's getting swept up in the moment in the classroom when <laughs> all the frogs are going crazy. And then the wind is blowing just like it is in the movie that E.T.'s watching. And there's some great sound design here because everything goes quiet and you just see the wind blowing. And now Elliot decides to make his romantic gesture and goes in for the kiss with the pretty girl who likes him, but he's not tall enough to reach her lips. So he stands on the back of a kid that's crawling along the floor to get up to the height of the pretty girl, grabs her, the wind's blowing in her hair very romantic and he kisses her and again there's no real sound here it's just the sound it was you can see the wind blowing but the john williams score kicks in ah he just gets swept up and it's very funny because elliot's drunk and then he gets dragged off by the teacher afterward again great framing what a wonderful shot because after he's kissed the pretty girl the shot in the fo- it's in the foreground we see the pretty girl's feet And she kind of twists her shoes a little bit, her feet a little bit to see, you know, she's enamored with Elliot as he's being drug off by the teacher, getting in a little trouble there uh, for creating the scene there. Love that scene. It's just, it sticks with me and I love watching it every time. Yeah, it's a fun scene too, because even as a kid watching it, you know, not knowing what Beard did, but you saw that it had some kind of effect. You didn't know what Beard did. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. E.T. burps, Elliot burps, you know, as a kid, you're giggling and you don't understand why he's acting weird, but you're understanding that they're kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. You just knew it was something your parents drank and that was it. You didn't know what it kind of did to you, but it's still, it's still, it just still made the scene work. And then the, the whole, it was like, oh my God, he kissed the girl. Right. Crazy. So bold. I'm glad you said that because yeah, I did not know what being drunk was, obviously, at nine years old. I didn't right, understand yeah. what was happening there. Truly. I got the gist of it, but I didn't. I didn't get it until later. There's so many goddamn frogs! Yeah, <laughs> well, where'd all those frogs come from? And then I, I realized watching this, there was I guess there was another tank of the frogs, and he he was literally freeing every frog from every upcoming class. It's like wow, that's a lot of frogs. I kind of mentioned early initial thoughts. My you know one of my favorite scenes was Keys and Elliot talking. Right, absolutely. So my next favorite scene is the iconic across the moon no doubt the music and just everything about it so we find out that the plan is that 
ET is going to try to contact home. So they'll come back and get him. They devise this whole plan on Halloween night. They're going to take ET out into the forest and in the clearing, basically where the ship landed, set up this device that he had built and he'll send a signal to home. And hopefully he's, I think they really think that the ship's just going to show up right away and pick him up. And that's going to be it. And so what they do is they swap out. Gertie was wanted to initially go trick-or-treating as a cowgirl, but now they're like, now you're going to have to go as a ghost. And they send Gertie out in her way, and now they dress up E.T. as the ghost, so the mom thinks E.T. is Gertie. Right. And they go out trick-or-treating, and Michael finds Gertie, and now Elliot and E.T. are going to get in the bike, and they're going to you know, ride out to the forest. And um, they're riding out there, and on the top of... Elliot's bike. He has uh, basically like a milk crate and ET sit in the milk crate and they're pedaled along and they're going through the forest and they get to a point where the the road basically ends and it's kind of like a ravine and Elliot thinks, all right, well, we're gonna have to drag all this stuff and walk and ET is going to have none of that. Then we find out another one of his abilities. He literally launches the bike up in the air. So now they're literally flying and just the music kicks in. And- yeah, that's the, yeah, the big over the moon, I think. Yeah. And the amazement on Elliot, what's happening, and he's scared but excited at the same time. And E.T.'s, you could just see he's just focused, like, all right, this is where we got to go. And they just do that awesome shot where they're pedaling in the sky past the moon. It's, you know, everybody knows that shot. It's just so great. It's something about that music. It's just, it's so comforting, which is funny because when you talked about the beginning, like the eerie music in the beginning, and I'm, but when I think of the music of this movie, I always think of, I always just find it very comforting. Absolutely. And then E.T. takes him down to the clearing and they kind of do a little crash. And then they start setting up the communicator to, for E.T. to phone home. As a kid, you, that's something you certainly did not expect. I mean, you can see that E.T. at that point can heal cuts. And we know now he's kind of imprinted himself on Elliot, but we saw him lift objects before, but nothing of this size. You know, it's, it's like Luke Skywalker trying to get the X-Wing fighter out of the swamp. Yeah, yeah. The iconic image. It's, oh, it's still fascinating. It's yeah, a still totally iconic sequence. And like you said, yeah, I mean, that's the Amblin Entertainment logo with the Elliot on the bike in front of the, you know, the silhouette in front of the moon. It's just something as a kid you wish you could do. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. You wanted to be as exhilarated as Elliot was in that moment. And it's... So much fun. I love when then they're about to land and Elliot's like, please don't crash. Please don't crash. Yep. Please don't crash. And then poof, they crash. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's really exciting. That's funny. Yeah. You're saying it was unexpected. It's like, because I was thinking throughout too, it's like this ET is one powerful little alien. Like what are the rules here? What are his powers? And I only think about that now. Like, well, let's figure out, let's figure out the power scaling here. <laughs> Whatever yeah. it is, it's ridiculous now how analytical we can be dissecting all of this, speaking of dissecting. And okay, well, he has the power of establishing an empathic like connection, an emotional connection, or like you said, imprinting on someone. Uh, he has the power of telekinesis. He has the power of healing. Yeah. Uh, he's a powerful little dude. Yeah, because he brings, brings the flowers back to life. Right. He can provide life. It's pretty cool. This is a scene that surprised me, Bill Bant, that tugged at my heartstrings. And I'll go through it very quickly, is when 
E.T. is hiding out in that closet, that huge walk-in toy closet that connects Gertie's room and Elliot's room. And the scene opens actually with Gertie in bed and her mom is reading her a fairy tale and it happens to be the story of Peter Pan. And it's, it's adorable. And Gertie's lying there and she's totally enthralled by the story as her mom's reading it and gets to the point where you, you know, you have to make a wish and do you, she, her mom says, do you wish it? And Gertie's like, I wish it, I wish it. Very cute. And E.T. is in the closet looking through the closet doors, just looking upon the scene. E.T.'s just watching the mom read the story to Gertie. And I am just going there. I wonder what E.T. is thinking right now. Like I said, he's really fascinated by it. He, he seems to be loving it. Then Elliot comes in and he pulls E.T. away. You know, he doesn't want E.T. to be discovered by accident. And he pulls him away from the closet doors. And Elliot's like, look, I, I brought you this box with all the gear that you need to put together your antenna to send the signal to you guys. Look, I got all the equipment you need. Then Elliot because part of the equipment is this giant saw blade that Elliot slices his finger on. And then, of course, E.T., iconic moment, raises his finger. The finger glows. Ouch. He touches the scratch on Elliot's finger and heals his finger. Iconic moment. But what touches me and gets me right in the heart is then E.T. goes straight back to the closet doors to watch mom tell the fairy tale to Gertie the fairy tale of Peter Pan. He's more interested in that instead of putting the gear together right away for his antenna. And then Elliot goes over and stands next to E.T. and then starts listening to the story too. And there they are, Elliot and E.T., just two friends sitting in the toy closet. And that's when Elliot puts his arm. See, I'm getting like, I'm getting a little misty right now. Just thinking about when Elliot puts his arm around E.T.'s shoulder. And it's so wonderful because this is where you really see this connection. This is what has been missing for Elliot. This is what he needs right now in this moment. And it just, it gets me because his father's not there and he needs somebody to be there for him. And then on top of that, what's genius from, again, filmmaking and storytelling aspects that we have the mom telling a fairy tale to Gertie. And as an audience, we're watching a fairy tale unfold. So it's a fairy tale within a fairy tale. Right. And it just all works and it all clicks. And I'm just like, Oh, you got me, man. Now I'm getting, I'm getting the watery eyes and I'm like, damn it. Cause I get it. They're friends. They're turn. They're becoming, they're really becoming best friends. Then immediately afterward, Spielberg pulls you right out of this moment and cuts to the scientists lurking outside cruising along in their tech van being creepers. It's just, it's great, you know, yep. the ever lurking uh, ominous presence outside. So love that. You'd mentioned the Halloween. We've got that classic moment. We got E.T. with the sheet over him and we see the POV shots through the eye holes of the sheet. And he sees uh, another kid dressed up as Yoda and he starts saying, home, home, home. So jealous of that costume. Because <laughs> I had the, oh, the Yoda crappy, costume? yeah, I had that crappy like face mask costume with the cheap plastic and says Yoda on the front of it. I'm like, damn, he's got a cool mask and a robe and damn. Oh, it's a great costume. It is. So E.T. is drawn towards Yoda, another alien and saying home, home, home. Uh, That's great stuff. And there's, I mean, a ton of other moments, but I will just jump to towards the end. I talk about another tearjerker, just these lines, man. I had to write this down because this is just all about this connection and friendship, et cetera, about, 
what what has happened between Elliot and ET and at this point we believe that ET has died that he's passed that his energy has left his body he's been away from his own people for too long his ship and uh whatever life that provided for him he's just they've been gone too long and he's been away from them for too long and his life energy has now dissipated completely and and disappeared so he's died and Elliot has survived. He got he got okay, and uh, we saw the connection get severed between the two of them as they were lying on opposite gurneys, and it's just heart wrenching. It's gut wrenching when that happens. And ET is now basically in this uh, kind of this closed chamber. It's like a casket almost that he's been put on ice. And Elliot has a moment alone with him, and Elliot's looking through. Well, the the I think the containers actually open but Elliot's looking through the glass uh, little portal window at ET who's in this body bag but it's a clear bag it's 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 a tough tough look there tough scene and Elliot just looks at the deceased ET and says look at what they've done to you i'm so sorry you must be dead because i don't know how to feel i can't feel anything anymore you've gone someplace else now i'll believe in you all my life every day ET i love you and I'm done. I'm done. I mean, come on, stop it. You're killing me. Like, okay, now I'm crying. Are you happy now? Now I'm crying. Thanks a lot, Spielberg. That's a terrible line reading by me, but I didn't want to, I was going to cry if I really got into it. Because when he says, I'll believe in you all my life, every day, I love you. It's like, ah, oh. 40 years later, still yeah, doing right? it. It's like, damn it. But if you've ever had a relationship with someone, a family member, a significant other, it could be an animal. It could be anything where the connection is severed, where you are in a moment of grieving and it's so overwhelming and consuming where you're feeling that heartache and heartbreak where you, he literally says it. I mean, it's, he verbally says, he puts it into words. You must be dead because I don't know how to feel. I can't feel anything anymore because they literally had an empathic connection. Ugh. It's such a short amount of time. Their, their bond is greater than most people out there so it's crazy yeah it's 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 powerful stuff yeah so just to round it out for me i want to ride in a plastic tube being dragged by a van it looks fun that did look fun (laughs) that did look fun (laughs) because at that point in the movie what's happened is mike has hijacked the scientist's van that has et in the back and now elliot's in the back with et but the van is still dragging this tube that was supposed to be like a for the scientists to walk through to protect them from outside elements, etc. And they take off in the van with this tube still attached to it. And there's two scientists in like their biohazard suits sliding along in this tube, being dragged on the streets of San Fernando Valley. It's great. It's action packed, but it looks like it's fun. It's like the best way to like sketch behind a, a moving vehicle. Universally, you should have done that ride. Yeah. I've been all over that one. I would have been all oh, yeah. over that one. Uh, we get another great bike chase. The whole bike chase is fantastic. And we get more flying bikes and John Williams music. The bike chase, I think, is, in, is what it was actually called, maybe on the original soundtrack. All that's wonderful, of course. And then we come to the end. And there's so many iconic moments. I agree, too. That's That was my final favorite scene. Just Yeah, go for it, man. I'll let you take it. says bye. Go for it, man, because that, that's pretty much it for me. Mike and Elliot pretty much, you know, steal the van, hijack E.T., because at this point, E.T.'s come back to life because he knows now his family is coming to get him. So they recruit Mike's friends to help out, and they grab the bikes, and they meet 
the van at the playground and they all get in the bikes and they start riding through the neighborhood. And of course the government is chasing them, but because they have the bikes, they have easier access to get through small places. Uh, but they get do get to a point where they're cornered and E.T. once again, five bikes now go up in the air and they take them to the landing place where the a ship initially touched down in the beginning of the film. They get there, we see the ship come down and now, now it's time to say goodbye. Yep. And it's just great because Gertie has her moment. Elliot has his moment. Um, you know, Michael has the moment and start with Gertie and E.T. tells Gertie to be good. And Gertie's just bawling and you're just like, oh man, here he goes. The waterworks are about to start. Like, stay strong, stay strong. And Elliot comes to say goodbye. And, you know, E.T. asks him, basically he asks, come with me, come with me. Right. Come see where I'm from. And, you know, for a split second, he, he, he wants to, but he knows he can't. And then there's that moment where E.T. basically touches Elliot and says, I'll always be right here. Meaning, I mean, they have memories that are going to last a lifetime and then they just hug. And that's what, that's what got me is it's the damn hug. Yeah, and then, yeah. um, you know, Michael comes over and he just, he just kind of just touches him for a last time. And at this point keys and, you know, the mom and the, and the, and the rest of the boys are just kind of watching it. And there's even a point where Mary kind of collapses a little bit. Um, I think she's just so, she just can't believe all of this is happening. And, and Keys is just enthralled, like, wow, I can't believe, you know, my whole life I've been trying to see this and it's happening. And and then eventually E.T. just gets in the ship and we see the doors close while the ramp's coming up. And all the while, John Williams' score is just swelling and overwhelming. It's just amazing music. Yeah. But yeah, it ends with the ship taking off and then basically zipping out into space. And we have the nice little rainbow and... Boom, that's it. It yep. ends right there. And you're, you know, you're drying your eyes and you know, you just hear everybody in the theater sniffling and just a great ending. Oh, uh, what can you say? You're like speechless at the end of it because you don't want to talk because then you know you're really gonna break down crying. You you like have to actually really take a moment to soak it all up and digest it all and you swallow the tears a little bit and then wait for the credits to roll for just a few minutes. Yeah. Then you look over to your family members or your loved ones and say, man, that was awesome. Yes. <laughs> hey, let's take a quick break and hear from our friends over at the Retro Movie Roundtable podcast. Hey, do you enjoy movies? If so, you're going to want to check out the Retro Movie Roundtable, the podcast where we watch movies and then talk about them. We're inviting you to join us as we dive into beloved movies from 10 years ago and beyond. We cover every genre and every era. The show is fun and personal, but also insightful and informative. The Retro Movie Roundtable is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Please check them out over at the Retro Movie Roundtable podcast. Now back to our show. All right. Of course, John Williams did the music. Amazing stuff. Like we've mentioned in past podcasts, we go see John Williams usually every Labor Day weekend at the Hollywood Bowl. And the amazing thing that he has done, he's, since I've been there, I've seen it twice, where they will literally show the last reel of the movie, which is basically the last 20 minutes. And the orchestra plays along with the movie. And it's amazing because you get so caught up in the movie and then you look yeah. down and you're like, oh my God, they're actually playing this music live. Like you can't even tell. 
but they're really playing it live. I remember that vividly, man. Yeah, it's just a memorable experience. That was a special moment. I was glad and grateful to have shared that with you and uh, Marwan and whoever else was there. And I, I hope Marwan was there for that one. I know sometimes some of us can't make the concert for whatever reason, but I think we were all together for that. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty special. And yeah, what can you say? It's, it's J-Dub, it's John, John Williams. I would uh, recommend the 20th anniversary edition, remastered edition of this soundtrack. It's pretty thorough. Uh, songs like The Beginning of a Friendship, which is the song uh, that is behind the sequence I had mentioned earlier when we see the first signs of this imprint slash empathic connection between E.T. and Elliot and they fall asleep together. But the iconic songs Over the Moon, The Bike, the bike Chase, these are songs that, yeah, Williams would play at the Hollywood Bowl and just immediately the song begins, you just hear a few notes and the whole crowd just goes, wow, it's E.T., mm-hmm. it's E.T. So I'm going to read this. Uh, This is directly from Wikipedia, but this is great. And this pertains to what Bill was just talking about, how we would see, we saw that final sequence matched with the live performance of the LA Philharmonic Orchestra as conducted by John Williams. And the reason why it matches perfectly and is flawless is because Spielberg actually edited to John Williams' score. It was the reverse of what normally happens where the director directs and the film is made. And then the composer and conductor will basically edit his score and songs to match the film. But this, because Spielberg had such trust with John Williams being the collaborate on almost all of the films that Spielberg directs and had previous to this, that he just trusted John Williams and was like, you just do your thing, man. You write your song and I will cut this piece to your music. It has to be about this long. And so I'm sure they had some outline, right? some parameters, but uh, it's great stuff. So this is from Wikipedia. Uh, Spielberg's regular collaborator, John Williams, who composed the film's musical score, described the challenge of creating one that would generate sympathy for such an odd looking creature. As with their previous collaboration, Spielberg liked every theme Williams composed and had it included. Spielberg loved the music for the final chase so much that he edited the sequence to suit it. Williams took a modernist approach, especially with his use of polytonality, which refers to the sound of two different keys played simultaneously. The Lydian mode can also be used in polytonal way. Williams combined polytonality and the Lydian mode to express a mystic, dreamlike, and heroic quality. His theme, emphasizing coloristic instruments such as the harp, piano, celesta, and other keyboards, as well as percussion, suggests E.T.'s childlike nature and his machine. So there you go. Yeah. So we just wanted to highlight John Williams. Obviously we're fans and uh, have collected his soundtracks over the years and 90. And it's surprising. I really, I don't have the ET soundtrack. I was kind of surprised of all the soundtracks I have John Williams. I do not have ET. It's nice now that you can access it easily. I'll go onto YouTube music. No. Oh, yeah. Just... I mean, I pay a monthly subscription fee, but it's worth it because I can download so much mm-hmm. and just add the, click of a button i've got the entire classic soundtrack all right so let us move on to swiss cheese and complaint department and why do we call it swiss cheese because although this movie is delicious it does have holes yes and if it doesn't fall under swiss cheese we just file a complaint with the complaint department did you have any swiss cheese for this i i thought this was a swiss cheese moment it's just right at the very beginning and this is a little tongue-in-cheek but in the beginning why didn't E.T.'s heart light illuminate when the other aliens did? Because when the ship is about to leave, this is actually a really cool shot. We see 
all of E.T.'s fellow aliens are kind of surrounding the ship and you see their hearts light up, their chests illuminate with a reddish orangish glow as if it's an almost like an alert and or alarm that, oh, our mission is completed here. We need to convene and get on board the ship because they all freeze at the same time when yeah. the light, their chest lights go off. And then it cuts to E.T. who's wandered off and he's digging up a little plant and he didn't get the alert. <laughs> it must have been on mute. Well, right. Like, so I was like, wait a minute. Was he out of range? Did he not have enough heart bars? Do they need to boost their heart signal? Do they not have? They did, Well, clearly they didn't have the 5G network no. back then. No, they, they did not. They did a better network is what it was because no. he was out of range. So that was a little like, I was like, wait a minute. Was he that far away to not get the, because his light does like his chest light does illuminate. Yeah, eventually. It was a little bit late. So I guess he just had to get closer to the ship. But by that time, well, too late. Yeah, which kind of leads me to my first question is why would the ship even go somewhere that that's that close to civilization? I mean, was there something specific in that woods that they were trying to collect? There's so many places you can go to that's out of the way that they kind mm-hmm. of got samples. Yeah, no, it's a legit point. Man, you're, you're a little too close to general population there. Yeah, playing with fire. Like even with the hard thing though, because when ET comes back to life, I mean the ship is probably not even in orbit at that point. So you know it's it's got some kind of long range. So it is kind of weird that it doesn't go off at that point. It should have. They were close enough. Yeah, it could That's be a good you know, question. Yeah. He he could be separated. That's fine. The fact is he's just too far away. He just what he was just too far away to actually physically get back to the ship in time. Right. Yeah, that made sense. That would make sense. So he was just too far away. But the fact that he doesn't get signaled right away. Yeah. I was just curious. I was like, oh yeah. man, everybody else got it. There's a delay. What what else do you have, man? Uh, that was kind of it for that's, uh, you know, Swiss cheese, but I've got a few other minor complaints. Yeah. I just have questions. I, I don't really have any uh, Swiss cheese. I gotcha. Hey, for me, even stepped on pizza is still edible pizza. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he didn't step on the pizza itself. He just stepped on the box and, and, it's okay. I still would have put it in the house and ate it. I just think it's funny when they pick up the pizza, it's completely destroyed. And I was like, he just barely, he stepped on it. Yeah. Like, kind of, he didn't really, it's not like he fell on top of it. I'm like, I think you you kind of embellished a little bit there when you picked it up. Maybe you smashed it just to make Elliot look bad. I don't know. Yeah. It was funny. We were recently over at a friend's and we ordered pizza and the driver dropped the pizza in the car so it was all folded over but it was still like i'm still eating it i don't care yeah piece it together whatever i'll just yeah it was just like okay it's like a calzone now but the fact the fact they only ordered one pizza for six boys oh yeah no it was like come on man that's you gotta at least get three pies even if they just ate you still always have room for pizza these are our complaints i know Uh, that's that's how we're gonna get yeah pretty uh get more pizza and i think you know we talk about like what because this is where your imagination goes. It's like, if you had an alien, how would you know what that alien is thinking or what it wants or what it needs? So I was like, well, that's pretty lucky that this particular species of alien happens to enjoy Reese's Pieces. I guess Elliot just figured, you know, any animal or creature, especially, you know, human would enjoy tasty sweet treats, right? Yeah, I know so, that was... Yeah, why, kind of why did they that, decide uh, Reese's Pieces? E.T., just a complete, <laughs> totally alien species, comes down and says, yeah, I'm going to pick up these little autumn-colored candies and put them in my mouth and eat them and then just follow this trail of candies. But 
it works. I'm going with it. I'm being an asshole for even being nitpicky about the Reese's Pieces. It's such a classic uh, device in this movie. But I just thought, I was like, yeah, that's kind of convenient. Well, yeah. Because how would you even... But the thing is, I think it's... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, if you ate as many uh, Reese's Pieces as E.T. ate to get to the house, yeah, you'd probably be sick too, though. Right. (laughs) That's a lot of Reese's Pieces to get from the woods to the house. Yeah. And I figure too, the point here is that this is how, what a kid would think though. Yeah. Like when you're, you know, you'd be like, oh, I can lure him in here or get him to safety. If he just, if I let leave these breadcrumbs, which are actual little sweet candies, uh, maybe he'll like that and know that I'm a friend. Yeah. That's the point. I'm That's leaving even- you. Hilarious that one scene where keys comes across a pile of the priest and he picks one right. up he and eats it too. It. It's I, like, I would never, to I'm like, no. oh man, no, in the middle of a forest, you yeah. see like <laughs> how long has that been sitting out there? Yeah, I don't know, not put it in my mouth, dude over, and no, no thanks. That's funny. This is a bummer for Gertie, man. Halloween, did so did she get screwed out of trick or treating? No, she doesn't. But the fact that they sent her away to take the bike outside the neighborhood, I'm like, my kids can't find their way around the block. And you're sending a little five-year-old like, oh, you're going to leave the house by yourself, take a bike and put it outside the neighborhood. So you think she just went off on her own to trick or treat? No, Mike goes eventually finds her. Well, they all do. Yeah, right. Because remember later on, we see Mike and Gertie at the house. So right. they meet up at some point. So they probably went trick-or-treating thinking Elliot was going to meet up with them because I, I think they really thought the ship was going to come down right away, take E.T. Well, home. Here's what, see, this is this is my logic here is what happens is Go ahead. we know that they're dressing up E.T. as a ghost because they've told their mom that Gertie is going to be the ghost. So, we, so E.T. is posing as Gertie, essentially. And so they take E.T. out to trick-or-treat posing as Gertie, posing as a ghost. Now, Gertie has to go to the meeting spot, which is at the fence, which is up on the whatever spot, because she's going to wait there for them and they meet her. They go up there and meet her. And that's when Elliot says to Mike, here, help me. Together, they lift E.T. up and put him in the basket on the bike that Gertie had brought to the meeting spot. Right, with all the equipment. And at that point, it's pretty much trick-or-treating's over they got to go home no they don't go home mike and gertie oh, so then go to trick they go trick oh, okay yeah i see well okay. and, so she and gets it confirms like it too because there i was is... just like i thought she'd gotten screwed out of trick-or-treating just to help uh enact this whole plan but there is a deleted scene where the mom because she says come come an hour after dark after sundown right right and they don't show up so she goes to find them and comes across Mike and Gertie trick or gotcha. and then they okay. ask where Elliot is. Right, right, right. All right, that makes sense. That, that makes me feel better for Gertie. Then, yeah, she got her candy. Dude, is that one of the scariest backyards ever? <laughs> yeah. I was like, here we go, children of the corn. I was like, what are they growing back there? I didn't realize there was a what? fence behind the house at first. I wouldn't go back out there ever because who knows? The location is strange. This was brought up in the other podcast I was talking about that I listened to uh, discussing this movie was where was that shot in where in California? Because a lot of this is shot in the Valley, San Fernando Valley and Tahanga and various other places here in SoCal. But this is a cornfield in the back of this, their house. It's like, where is this? 
is creepy as hell though. And this is, that's why I was saying like Elliot's got total balls. I would never no. follow some creepy uh, squeaking creature into a cornfield, like in the movie signs, you know, it's like, you don't know what the hell this thing is. And then it is scary when he parts the corn and you see ET and he screams and Elliot screams and it's like, yeah, what the hell? It's totally creepy. I agree that backyard. Yeah. I, I would never go out there. All the fog. <laughs> it's always foggy. That's and... like scariest backyard ever. Yeah. No, thank you. Here's a question for you. Yeah. When ET uses basically his force powers or telekinesis or what have you to make the bikes fly, mm-hmm. why are they all still pedaling? Had that written down too. <laughs> I, was like, I think it's just because it looks better on screen oh, than completely. not to have them bike. But it's like, I'm like, what are you pedaling for? It's not making the bike go any faster. I figure once as a kid, it's habit and you'd be freaking out too. You'd be just be like, I got to do something. I, I this mm-hmm. is too, I got to uh, spin my legs or something. And also I think it like, yes. And it just looks better. I, maybe it's yeah better for the movie, but. As a kid, too, watching it, I, I think as a kid, I probably watched it going, oh, he's he has to pedal to propel the bike through the air somehow. They're helping each other. Make it was crazy fly. how much I was thinking about it because I was even thinking because I used to ride a ton bikes, but you would do like the coast thing. You would pedal a little bit and then you would just kind of stop. And I right. think I would at least be doing I wouldn't be constantly pedaling. I'd be stopping every once in a while just to kind of. Okay. Chill out. Yeah. I'm just going to start pedaling again, especially when we're coming down, because I know I want that momentum when I hit the ground. But yeah, I definitely do not uh, think yeah, even as a kid, I would be pedaling the whole time. Right. But I was like, it would look dumb if they're all just sitting up there in the sky, not pedaling. True. Yeah. Just kind of static. Yeah. It, it might even look fake. Yeah. Uh, just wouldn't look right. Yeah. I don't think anybody in their right mind would be pedaling the whole time they're up in the air. <laughs> Unless ET literally like you got to. These pedal. are our complaints, folks. Yeah, Once I again, know. these are our complaints. That's how good this movie is. We got to find this. This. But we had the same about. one. But we had the same one. That's great. Yeah. So I, I guess this is my last one already. Why was there beer in the house? Who was that for? Mary did not seem like a beer drinker to me. Wine, yes. Beer, no. I didn't understand why the beer. Was and the, in the way house. she's investigating the cans too. Yeah, she sees all the cans on the floor, and it's not. She doesn't seem concerned about it at all. I agree. I thought the same thing. And I was like, I wonder if that was their dad's beer that he left in the fridge before he left. Yeah. Cause it does seem like it happened very, very, very recent. And I think you could, that'd be fair to make that assumption. I'll buy that. Cause back then we didn't realize, I guess beer got skunked and had expiration yeah, right. dates on it. You would just drink it. Just like, oh, this tastes funny. You remember when that actually happened when they, they had like a drink by date? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember when that happened. I'm like, wait, beer can go bad right well yeah of course after you open it it's going to go flat you know it is a carbonated fermented beverage that will you know if it's still in the can or the bottle should be fine right yeah i, I Forever, remember my dad time. would have stuff in the garage months yeah, before. yeah, that's, right. yeah our dad said <laughs> yeah yeah Michelob was in there that's been there for like five years yeah that's just he wasn't a big drinker you know he wouldn't do that now that's hilarious yeah, here's a talk about nitpicks. And speaking of flying bikes, that first flying bike sequence, which is just Elliot and ET, Elliot's got the backpack with all the the gear in it. I was like, and then they unloaded the gear. Like that's a that's a that's an elaborate, immense setup. And I'm like, no way, all that gear's fitting in his backpack. Yeah, it was, his backpack <laughs> was like a different dimension. Maybe he could, he could do that. I don't know. 
It's like a magic <laughs> trick. Just keep putting everything in there, especially have an umbrella. The Another umbrella's power be too of, big. yeah that ET has is to miniaturize all the gear to fit yeah. into the backpack. Or he's just like a, like my mom is like really good at packing. Yes. Oh, here's my last complaint. Go ahead. Elliot's supposed to be a hunchback for Halloween. That's his costume. Like, did that? What is? What does he look? Does he look like a hunchback too? Was he? I didn't know what he was. He, I don't I, I like, was what is he sure, supposed to be? I didn't even know what Michael was supposed to be. Like a, a hobo with a knife in his head? That made no sense. He Well, sometimes I think I would even do that. It's like, I don't know what I'm going to be for Halloween. I'm just going to put together some kind of combo of different things and it'll just look weird. But Elliot's got like a hoodie on and green face paint and like blood around his Isn't eyes. Cool. Like he's a zombie in a hoodie <laughs> or something. I don't know. Or yeah, not the best costume. Goblin vampire thing or whatever. But then there's like when he's gone missing and his mother Mary has to say, well, yeah, he's dressed as a hunchback. He is? Yeah, did not catch that. Okay. I just anyway, that's all I got. All right. So let's move on to hey, it's that actor. All right. So in this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. It's hey, it's that actor. All right. We've been matching a lot recently, and there's not a lot of people in this movie. So I don't know. Do you think we're going to match? I think, yeah, I think there was really, for me, only going to be like two or three options here. Okay. Maybe only two, but I had to go with this one. And I'm going to go with Erica Laniac, the actress, as the pretty girl. Uh, is that Was that your choice too? I, I knew you were probably going to do one of two, and yeah. I guessed right. So I have someone else. Go ahead. Perfect. So Erica Laniac, uh, she's you know, young on this film and very pretty. And then, uh, yeah, I'm just simply saying, you know, actually in 1980, she's technically connected to the Star Wars universe. She was in a, a short as C-3PO girl for a Star Wars underoos. Yeah, I saw the commercial. Yeah, that's hilarious. So then, then in 82, she's in E.T. She did an episode of Silver Spoons. And she was in the movie that you and I mentioned, one of our favorite flops from 1988, The Blob, as Vicky DeSoto. She was in a few episodes of Charles in Charge, and then she would go on to be in Baywatch, 45 episodes of Baywatch from 89 to 92. And then in 92, has a very memorable scene as Jordan Tate in the Steven Seagal vehicle, Under Siege. Yes. She pops out of a cake. Uh, That's her introduction, her character's introduction in that movie, and that's memorable. Mm -hmm. Erica Laniac is a very, very pretty lady. And then she goes on to be in the Beverly Hillbillies in 93. And then I remember this one. I don't remember anything of the movie, but she was in Chasers with William McNamara. And uh, I remember the poster. Why can't I think his name? Tom Berenger? Tom Berenger. Yeah. From 1994. I know I saw it. I can't remember anything about it, but I certainly remember the poster from that film. And she's still working today. She's in her early 50s. Oh, okay. She's, I think, four years older than me. So, yeah, early 50s. Still doing it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. Really haven't yeah. Seen her Erica Laniac, Pretty Girl from E.T. All right. So um, I think I wrote the other choice because this actor was making their big screen debut. And that was uh, C. Thomas Howell. Yeah, absolutely. Who played Tyler 
And uh, I thought he had one of the funniest moments in the movie. I, I almost put that. In, I skipped over it. I had I wrote it down in my favorite moments. Oh, yeah. So during the bike chase scene, the kids think they get away and see Thomas Howe is wearing um, one of those like ski masks and he takes it off. And he's like, we made it. Yeah. And then like 40 government officials come running in and almost grab him. And uh, I remember like, oh, the shit. audience. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone in the audience was just dying at that point. C. Thomas Howell had a great run in the 80s, uh, starring in such films as The Outsiders, Tank, Red Dawn, Secret Admirer, and The Hitcher. Yeah, he also starred in the 1990 classic Side Out with Peter Horton. There you go. Ding, 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 ding. So C. <laughs> Thomas Howell, yeah, it was his big screen debut. So that was our Hey, It's That Actor. All right, so uh, moving on to facts and trivia. What are some facts and trivia we have for E.T.? There is a ton out there. I know. I just picked out some interesting stuff that I kind of like. Yeah, absolutely. We can uh, jump right into it. Here we go. Uh, The film's concept was based on an imaginary friend that Spielberg created after his parents' divorce. In 1980, Spielberg met with uh, Melissa Matheson, the writer, and developed a new story from the unrealized project Night Skies, which was a project he'd worked on with writing with John Sayles. John Sayles, yeah. In less than two months, Melissa Matheson wrote the first draft of the script titled E.T. and Me, not to be confused with Mac and Me. Oh, boy. uh, Which went through two rewrites. According to Spielberg, I guess that first draft was pretty perfect. So all credit to Melissa Matheson. Yeah, they supposedly started working on that during Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right, right. Was she married to Harrison Ford then, or were they just dating? They were dating. dating. They were dating, okay. but she would marry Harrison Ford. She was married to Harrison Ford. The writer of E.T., Melissa Matheson, was married to Harrison Ford from 1993 to 2004. Okay. And Melissa Matheson, before E.T., had done the screenplay for The Black Scal- uh, the Black Scallion. <laughs> the Black Stallion. One of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then the escape artist, then E.T., and uh, later on, she did the screenplay for The Indian in the Cupboard and The BFG. Oh, wow. But, uh, Melissa Matheson, she passed in 2015. Oh, man. So RIP. Um, this is cool because I always had this information wrong. So Deborah Winger not only provided the temp voice for E.T., I always thought she did the actual voice. I didn't realize she just did the temp track for E.T. Right. But she also did have a cameo in the movie. And at first I was like, well, how are they going to know this? And she actually plays during the trick-or-treating scene. You see E.T. looking at a uh, costume ghoul that's carrying a poodle. That is Deborah Winger. And I I saw a picture with the mask up, so I knew it was her. So I was like, all right, I'm not going to write this down until I can see confirmed. Yes, confirmed. But the actual voice of E.T. was provided by, her name was Pat Welsh. And it mixed her voice with uh, sounds um, by sound designer Ben Burt, famous Ben Burt, who did um, a lot of the sound effects for Star Wars. So, yeah, I always thought it was Deborah Winger. So it was kind of cool to find out it was this other person, Pat Welsh, who um, was trying to be an actor way back when in the 30s and 40s. Um, so she had an older, raspier voice from I guess she was a habitual smoker. Yeah, supposedly smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. Good Lord. To give her voice that quality. So that was the actual voice of Pat Wells. For the longest time, I always thought it was Deborah Winger. There you go. According to Wikipedia, she spent nine and a half hours recording her part and was paid 380 bucks her services by yeah. Bedford. Ripped off. Yeah, doctors working at the USC Medical Center were recruited to play the ones who try to save E.T. after uh, the government agents take over Elliot's house. 
Spielberg felt that actors in the roles performing lines of technical medical dialogue would come across as unnatural. Yeah, and that we saw that happening in uh, RoboCop. They did the same thing when they brought right, in that's real right. doctors to make the scene seem more realistic. So it's like, oh, okay. So we saw where uh, RoboCop saw it from. So yeah, we had mentioned that Steven Spielberg was working on this script during the filming of in, uh, Indiana Jones. And well, we just call it Raiders of the Lost Ark with Harrison Ford. Well, in this film, during post-production, Spielberg decided to cut a scene featuring Harrison Ford, who was supposed to be the principal at Elliot's school. It featured his character reprimanding Elliot for his behavior in biology class and warning of the dangers of underage drinking. And then supposedly in this scene, he is taken, uh, this is Harrison Ford, his character would be t- is taken aback as Elliot's chair rises from the floor while E.T. is levitating the phone equipment back at home. But Ford's face is never seen in this deleted scene. I think they showed that scene during the 20th anniversary reissue. Hmm. I don't remember the chair floating part. I'm wondering if you can find that scene because I know I've seen it. But I'm thinking it's when they showed the the 20th anniversary one. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, the the Blu-ray that I have, they don't have that scene on there. I'm glad they cut it. I think that if you knew it was Harrison Ford, it would have. But if you didn't see his face, I don't know. But his voice is so distinct. For sure. Yeah. So this is interesting. So ironically enough, uh, the iconic phrase E.T. phone home is not said by E.T. first. And I had to go back and listen to it to make sure. So the actual phrasing by E.T. is E.T. home phone. And then Gertie says E.T. phone home. Then Elliot says it. And then E.T. says it. Yep. Kind of misquoting it, but quoting it right at some point. Correct. Yeah. I mean, E.T. does say it. You really have to listen to it because I had to listen because I was like, really? It is weird that he says it backwards for the the first time. And it's Gertie that kind of gets it right. Yeah. yeah, right. I thought, that, yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I always thought he just said phone home and everyone else said it. And then he said it. And I was like, oh, no, he really does say it backwards. Did he say home phone? Oh, he wants a landline? <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. I get it. I get it. That's fine. Spielberg shot the film in roughly chronological order to achieve convincingly emotional performances from his cast. It was also done to help the child actors with the workload. Spielberg calculated that the f- the film would hit home harder if the children were really saying goodbye to E.T. at the end. And that's why filming it in chronological order. Yeah, makes sense. So that they, yeah, the kids would really develop an emotional attachment to E.T. and then have to say goodbye uh, would be, that'd be tough, but you get that realism there. Yeah, that's kind of smart to do. Oh yeah, completely. Yeah, especially when you're dealing with child actors, you never know. Um, so when Elliot insults Michael, so in the script, they didn't, specify what to say so henry thomas actually ad-libbed the line of it's nothing like that penis breath (laughs) d wallace's reaction was true because she did not know what to expect so that's why she's kind of half giggling half admonishing and i relate too because you know having two kids myself some of the stuff that comes out of their mouth at first it's funny but you realize you're not supposed to be saying that that was a genuine reaction from d wallace ah love it this is well known because there is a documentary on this, but Atari Incorporated produced a video game based oh, on man. the film for the Atari 2600 and hired Howard Scott Warshaw to program the game. The game was rushed in five weeks to release within the 1982 holiday season. 
uh, released in Christmas 1982. The game was critically panned with nearly every aspect of the game facing heavy criticism. Uh, it is considered one of the worst video games ever made. Uh, it was a commercial failure and uh, has been cited as a major contributing factor to the video game industry crash of 1983. And then in what was initially deemed an urban legend, uh, reports from 1983 stated that as a result of overproduction of the game, millions of unsold cartridges were secretly buried in a New Mexico landfill and covered with a layer of concrete. So this is like if legend is just so cool. And there's a document. I can't remember the name of it. I got I'll look it up here in a moment. But in April 2014, diggers hired to investigate the claim confirmed that the landfill contained many ET cartridges among other games. Yeah, I saw that document and I can't remember the name either. But if I find out, I'll put it in the show notes. But oh god, that game was so frustrating. Yeah. I remember a friend was so excited that he got it for Christmas and we went over there playing it. And the whole game is basically you just fall in holes. And then you got to levitate ET's neck to get out of the hole. And then you get out of the hole and you fall right back in the hole. And the game made no sense. It was a piece of crap. Atari Game Over is what the documentary is called. Oh, okay. There you go. It's definitely a documentary you should check out. All right. So my last fact and trivia is, um, so ET Spaceship was designed by conceptual artist Ralph McQuarrie, who we know did some of the conceptual art for Star Wars. Described in the screenplay as looking like something from a Dr. Seuss story, uh, Macquarie gave the ship a distinctly Victorian Jules Verne-like appearance. Very cool. Love Ralph Macquarie, man. I have some of his stuff, autographed stuff from one of the Star Wars celebrations, I believe. Anyway, big fan of his artwork. I had no idea that he had worked on this. I Yeah, me neither. Learning something new on our own podcast. So yep. in... July 1982, during, this is, again, I'm, I'm reading from Wikipedia basically here, ladies and gentlemen. In July 1982, during the film's first theatrical run, Spielberg and Matheson wrote a treatment for a sequel. Spielberg decided against pursuing it, feeling it would do nothing but rob the original of its virginity. E.T. is not about going back to the planet. Uh, this was, go ahead. You were No, I was just saying, I, I know there was definitely stories that the studio was pushing for them to do a sequel, and they did work on stuff. But Spielberg realized that nothing was going to match the right. first one. So I'm he glad kind of kept they, shooting that it. Yeah. Never. But here's the th- only thing that has come anywhere near close bringing E.T. back to the screen. On November 28th, 2019, Xfinity released a four-minute commercial directed by Lance Accord, calling it a short film sequel to the original motion picture. And it's titled A Holiday Reunion. The commercial stars Henry Thomas reprising his role as Elliot, now an adult with a family of his own. The story follows E.T. returns to Earth for the holiday season and focuses on the importance of bringing family together. I watched, I just, I'd never seen I it. I watched it too. I loved it. I, I thought it was great, to be honest. And it hits all the right notes. Henry Thomas, once again, is wonderful in it. And, and then he hugs E.T. And again, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm about to cry again. <laughs> I didn't think the ET looked as good. It looked a little more polished. Like digital effects. Yeah. Yeah. And it would have been cool if they got Erica Laniac to play the wife. Oh, (laughs) but yeah, it is. It is a cute little, little I thought it was great. Yeah. I enjoyed it. You can find it on YouTube. Watch it. We'll we'll put that in the show notes too. Uh, That's all I got, man. All right. Fun facts and trivia. All right. So let's move on to box office. So ET, the extraterrestrial was released on June 11th, 1982. On an estimated budget of $10.5 million, it grossed 
$359 million domestically upon its initial theatrical run. Is that good? Uh, Yeah, I think it's not too bad. So uh, counting reissues, special editions, and worldwide box office, E.T. has grossed $793 million. And just for inflation, that makes E.T. the third highest grossing movie of all time behind Star Wars and Titanic. It debuted number one at the box office with a gross of $11.9 million in 1,100 theaters. It stayed at the number one spot for six weeks, where it dropped to number two behind the best little whorehouse in Texas, and then recaptured the number one spot again the following week and was the number one movie at the box office nine additional times. E.T. stayed in the top 10 for 34 weeks straight and played in theaters a full year after its box office debut. Its highest grossing weekend was during its fourth week of release, which was $17.3 million. And the most theaters it ever played in one weekend was 1,709, which happened in August of 82. It grossed more than double the second highest domestically grossing movie of 1982, which was Tootsie. Man, that is impressive. What a run. Imagine if that was released today, how much it would have made its opening weekend. Oh, right. Yeah. Different times, man. Can you imagine a movie today being in the theaters for a year? They're lucky they keep them in for a month. So weird. Do you realize the origination of the term blockbuster? I feel like such an idiot as to where that term even came from or why it was devised. Because literally people are are like around the block waiting. Lined up around the block for me. It's like, oh, yeah. I don't know why I never thought about that. Yeah, because now it's in so many theaters. You don't have to worry about that stuff. Yeah, I remember waiting for... Return of the Jedi outside, Raiders of the Lost Ark, waiting outside. Oh, sure. Wonder if you're going to get in. Even Batman. I waited for Phantom Menace. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah. So let's move on to reviews. When growing up in the early 80s, we would watch sneak previews with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert to hear their reviews and watch clips from upcoming movies. Their review of E.T. was unanimous. Two big thumbs up. Gene applauded the fact the movie supplies an element not seen in movies of late, and it is of love. He found E.T. to be charming, sweet, and a timeless movie. Roger felt he was introduced to a movie that was going to last years and years, treasured by one generation to the next. He called it a great film. And he was on the money on that one. Yeah, he wasn't wrong. Um, So that takes us to additional thoughts and questions. So we have some additional thoughts and questions about E.T., uh, just an additional thought to add on to what you uh, you kind of mentioned special features on a DVD. Watch any of the behind the scenes footage, documentaries, et cetera. There's, uh, it's all available out there, uh, any kind of clips or footage to see a master director at work, just to see how he works with child actors and to see Spielberg doing his thing because he's one of a kind and he's one of the best top three directors of our generation. So anyway, I, I, that's just a thought. Go watch, watch the stuff. It's, it's wonderful. Just how he, he is able to relate to and communicate to uh, children whom are actors and how they, uh, he's able to get the emotions out of them at the right times. And he's a special guy. Yeah. It was cool watching some of the special features because he kept talking about how those kids were really his first, technically his first family. It's the first time, you know, because he wasn't a parent at that point. He really thought of them as his kids making this film. And he says that over and over again. And 
he definitely still had a relationship with Drew Barrymore after the fact and they kept in touch. And even when they did the reunion stuff, you can really see just how generally pleased he was with all of them and just really has a special bond uh, with them. So that, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I've got some questions. I said that kind of like in a bad way. No, these are, these are just fun questions. One being, how does the imprint slash empathic bond work? I think you want to touch on this too, or had maybe some potential questions here. Because my question is, first of all, when does the bond initiate? And I believe it is the scene that was one of my favorite scenes where they fall asleep together. Uh, so yeah, I was just kind of like, how does this imprint or this connection work exactly? And why only Elliot? Is it because Elliot was the first human he has real contact with i mean that that would be a fair assumption because i was really trying to figure all this out too and it's one of those things too where it's kind of like what are the rules like we always try to establish the rules of the world and or what are this creature's powers exactly and what are the parameters here to give us some sort of framework to be able to wrap our minds around and relate to as human beings watching a movie right even though we are all about suspension of disbelief but this is the kind of situation too where you you ask that question what are the rules and do we care? Do we really care? Not really. But I think just because, you know, trying to do the podcast, you think about the stuff way more. Yeah. Then I, I was going back to, all right, so why did E.T. get sick? And my first thought was, is it just because he's on Earth and it's different than what his planet's all about? So he's just succumbing to the elements. Yeah, that's what I always assumed. Then I just kind of thought, is it just something about the species itself where they're all kind of interconnected and the fact that he's broken the bond. I almost think of it as I'm going to have to go Star Trek here. Um, the next generation was the Borg, how the Borg was all interconnected together and you couldn't separate a Borg from the others or it just didn't work correctly. I was like, Oh, I wonder if the same thing with this species is if you are taken outside of the population, the collective, some kind of, yeah. it somehow affects you. So I think that's why he kind of imprints himself with Elliot. It's survival. It might be just basic survival. It's all right. Here's someone I can trust. And maybe if I imprint myself with him, that in a way he would kind of keep me alive until my family comes back, but he's too far separated too long from the family. So that's why he's starting to get sick because he's not with his group. That's kind of my hypothesis or theory that's on. pretty cool i like that i love that theory actually because the fact that you know he technically dies but then comes back because he knows that his species is coming back well that's another question i had is because when watching it as a kid here's what i tell you i didn't catch the fact that he came back to life because his ship was returning to earth that the ship had received the signal that they had sent out and the ship was now coming back to retrieve et and thus the ship came within a certain distance and get closer and it revived E.T. That totally makes sense. And you see that in the movie. You, Elliot actually says that, oh, your friends are coming for They're close now. They're coming home for you. They're coming back for you. And I thought as a kid, because of the line, remember I, uh, I read the, the whole entire quote, I thought because Elliot was so overwhelmed with emotion or just literally says the words, I love you, that somehow his love for et had revived et the emotional connection was reestablished, and it gave et like the emotional fuel he needed to be revived 
Like I, that's a very romantic way of looking right. at it. But it because that happens simultaneously, where Elliot literally says, "Et, I love you," and then right after that, Et comes back to life, mm-hmm. like immediately afterward. Yeah. As a kid, I was like, "Oh, it's kind of like what happens in Snow White when she's kissed by the prince." You know, where it's that romantic moment, bringing the in the fairy tale, bringing the dead back to life as a result of the of a kiss or whatever it is something extremely romantic so that's what i thought as a kid like it's literally that et comes back to life because of elliot's true unadulterated love for him it's the the connection that they share that had been severed and now it's they've reconnected but it is more i think that his species has come back from them for him and and kind of yeah, because I think even maybe more as a kid, I thought, oh, maybe because Elliot's sick, E.T.'s sick, and he's not used to, you know, he's never experienced whatever Elliot's going through. Because, I mean, he stays out in the, the woods that whole night. Right, and I think it, that makes complete sense, too. And you see it in other science fiction films where the alien species succumbs to bacteria or a virus yeah. of some kind because this is not their natural habitat or environment. Yeah, I think watching this time, I think it was more of, I think it's just the way the, the species is. They're just all somehow intertwined with one another and you cannot break off from the species. Right, which ties right into the theme of connection here. Yeah. How important it is to be connected to your species and how we rely upon it to survive on so many different levels. Yeah. I love it, man. Here's a question for you. Okay. Would sticking a thermometer under a hot lamp work? Does that work to raise the temperature of a thermometer? And if so, I'm like, why am I? I'm really an idiot, I guess. Why didn't I never think of that as a kid? Well, it doesn't get too hot because she says he's only like 99, but hot enough that he could stay home. Yeah. Doesn't Ferris do that too? Is that what? Okay. Maybe. I can't remember. Did he steal that from E.T.? <laughs> yeah, I would think like bulbs. Yeah, it got hot, but I don't think it would be hot enough to affect. I don't know. Ah, I wish Mythbusters was still around. Maybe they could test that theory. Right. So the question is, what would you do if you met an alien? You were making first contact, just you and the alien. So me as a kid or me now? Both. Either. I know that's... Uh... I think it would suck if it was now because you're just being an adult. You're just so weary of things. It's just the element of trust. I think I'd rather meet as a kid and just like, oh, yeah, let me hug this alien and God knows what it would give me and get me sick. But yeah, I would try to befriend it. And but I, I yeah, I definitely think my parents would know. I don't think I would. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think I would have kept it a secret, to be honest. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be tough. Yeah. You'd seek out some sort of guidance and or protection yeah an adult yeah i i I don't know i think as a kid i would freeze first of all if i saw an alien i'd just totally freeze in some kind of yeah that's true because you couldn't believe it but also i think similar to what elliot does probably some sort of hand gestures you start with that and a simple hi hello how are you where are you from who are you kind of thing because you'd have to try something i would assume it would be hard. It'd be weird walking away from an alien going yeah. straight to the authorities without any sort of contact or proof. Maybe. I don't know. Like if I saw the ship land and then know. little green people running out. Yeah. I would probably run. Right. Yeah. Maybe if I did see it as Elliot did, maybe I would try to communicate with it, but keep my distance. If I was Elliot in the chair and ET was coming up to me like that, I would eventually run. 
that I was, Wyoming, I, that I had, I would have been scared that at for first. time's sake. I put that in my favorite, one of my favorite moments, which I thought was super creepy. Again, Elliot having balls, man, because the scene yeah. where he's sleeping in the lawn chair or he's waiting for ET to come out of the shed, which he eventually does following the trail of Reese's pieces. And you see the silhouette of ET. And then he does that scurrying shuffle towards yeah. Elliot. And I'm like, Oh my God, that would freak me. I would jump right the hell out of that chair and run back to the house. Are you kidding me? Creepy little mushy alien dude. Yeah. I probably would have climbed up the chair and the, the chair would have fell back. Right. Because yeah. I wouldn't even got out. I was I literally would have been trying to climb over the chair. Yeah. Like get all twisted up in the lawn chair. It'd be hilarious. Yep. That's what would happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it inspires that question of like, what would you do, of course, in that situation? And this movie is smart the way it, it does kind of build up the relationship builds up in that iconic moment when he throws the baseball into the shed, the ball gets thrown back to him. It's almost like, okay, they're establishing a non-threatening sort of connection there or way of communicating, you know, give and take kind of thing. I don't know. Uh, anyway, well, you just have to answer this honestly, Bill, okay. as an adult rewatching this film. Did you cry? Did you cry this time as an adult? I got, I did get very emotional. I'll, I'll be honest. I, and I said the, the two scenes that, that got me, but no, no tear was shed, but I came really close. I came so close. I thought I was going to lose it. I thought so. And it didn't happen. I looked away from the screen. I think I talked to myself a little bit and did the same thing you did. In the middle. Oh yeah. Damn it. Damn it. Yeah. I've learned to uh, do the look away and tried not to think about it as much. Cause if I really thought about, what was you know unfolding on screen, then it would overtake me. But I had to stay strong. I don't know for who. I was watching it by myself. You know, uh, my sister's dog next to me. He, she probably wouldn't have cared. I think when I saw the twentieth anniversary edition of the theater, I think I cried. Yeah, and that's yeah, it's a tearjerker, man. Date. It's good stuff. Did you have the rumor growing up that Keys was actually Elliot's dad? For some reason. Oh, no, I never heard that one. Yeah, that, I remember that rumor spreading in R. And watching it, you were like, yeah, that makes no sense. Why do we even believe that? No, not at all. So it must have happened before it finally came out on video. That, that was going around like, I get oh, that. Yeah, that, guy's, like, that yeah. would be something kids would come up with or somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it just spreads like wildfire for whatever reason. Rumor spread. But yeah, I mean, Elliot would recognize him then when he finally sees him. I mean, they have yeah. communication. They talk when he, yeah, in the tent, that great line that you mentioned. I mean, Elliot knows what his dad looks like. <laughs> I think it was hey, one dad. of those. I mean, it was six years before it finally came out on video. So I, I don't think it was one of those rumors that was, was like right when the movie came out. I think it was a couple of years down the line. And, you know, at that point, you gotcha. kind of forget about the movie. So that kind of I, started. It's just and, so bad. That's yeah. another sign of the times kind of thing, right? Yeah. You could develop those kinds of rumors and you couldn't access the movie to go back to get the proof or whatever, because then it's the uh, Mandela effect, too. You think you 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 remember the movie a certain way. Yes. And it may not be correct. (laughs) Yeah, because there is a scene where Keys is talking to Mary. And I don't think you would realize that a couple of years after the fact when you've only seen it maybe once. The two of them interact and she drives him to the landing site at the end. I think, yeah, that's one of the you just kind of forget about all that. Right. Uh, did you have any questions? Okay. So do you think E.T. and Close Encounter share the same universe? Oh, that's a great question. And there was some connection behind the scenes because Correct. Spielberg was looking to do the sequel to Close Encounters of the Third Guy. Do I think they share? I just, that's not something I think about. Like, I don't put them 
together. I mean, it's entirely possible with that. I look at the first and foremost, the ship's design mm-hmm. with all of the lights. You, If you put that in like the f- final sequence from Close Encounters and Third Kind, it would fit in there. I could see that. Yeah. Like the, it kind of similar technology, but no, I, I don't put them in the same universe to answer your question. I don't. It'd be kind of funny. This Marshall's like, yeah, if you're looking for plants, man, you gotta go to this place, Earth. They, they got could some be, good stuff. Their species could be def, you know, distant relatives. I mean, because we do see the aliens in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. They do come out of the ship. Yep. And they are like childlike also. There's one alien that's tong- tall and lanky and wiry, mm-hmm. but then you have all the little childlike aliens running yeah. around. But they do very much look dis. I mean, they're different than ET species. So I don't know. Uh, but that's a great question. All right. You know my answer to this one, but I'm going to ask you this. Uh, Reese's Pieces or M&M's? Oof. Uh, the actual, the candy version, I'm going with M&M's. Okay. And then uh, what type of M&M's are your favorite? Oh, man. I've always been partial to the peanut M&M's. Yeah. I'm, I'm a peanut M&M guy, man. Are those, I like, I'll, you, you give me a bag. I'm going to eat the whole thing. It's just, I... I'm oh, done. I, I surrender to it. I give in. Yeah. Now that they're usually so expensive, that's the only thing that keeps me from buying them all the time. <laughs> yeah. But I think the one that's kind of recently that, you know, cause now they've come out with like 8,000 different flavors. The, I don't know how, if you say caramel or caramel, right. Those I love. That's wow. probably my number one. And then the peanut yeah. is second. I think I have had those and those are to die. And for. then those are pretty amazing. plain is good if they're refrigerated. I like oh, right. Cold. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I like them for cold. sure. God, I haven't had that in a long time. Yes. But yeah. And I think we kind of talked about this. I think we were both happy they never made a sequel. I mean, as much as we wanted a sequel, I'm kind of glad they never did it. Unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. Again, this type of movie inspires the imagination. You, you, of course, if it's a good movie, you want more, get a little more. Maybe if you go to Universal, you go on the ET ride. Is that you know, still there? I kind of, I don't know. I kind of thinking know. about that. I was like, no. I miss that. I just love the fact that you went through all that stuff with the cards to give your name. And then supposedly ET is supposed to say your name. And I don't think I ever, I think one time I actually oh, yeah. heard my name on that ride. But isn't part of the whole thing is that you go to ET's planet and you see yes. all the vegetation and stuff and you go through. That's the right. Whole part you start on their yeah. planet. And it's like, oh, okay. This is a little taste of what maybe would be in a sequel. Mm-hmm. I didn't need it. <laughs> And that's maybe a testament to like why this is a film I, I love to revisit from time to time, but it's not as if uh, it's not where there's such a mythology and a lore that's been built into this that I need to expand upon it or would be just be dying to know more. It just is so kind of self-contained. It is what it is. And I, it's enough. There isn't all these unanswered questions that I need answered. You know what I mean? Yeah. That would fulfill or fill out a sequel. Yeah, I agree with that, too. I mean, it would kind of be cool to see the planet, but yeah, I don't need a whole story behind it. It's And it's also not, doesn't lend itself to a, a tremendous amount of like action and adventure. There's an adventurous aspect to this film, but there's a journey to go on, but it's all accomplished within this film. It would feel manufactured. Yeah. Uh, anything else for thoughts and questions? That's all I got for that. Um, let's move on to uh, recommendations. All right, we uh, recommending ET to our <laughs> our listeners out there. The the one person that probably has not seen this movie, right? You know what, man? Spielberg in this movie just finds the kid in me and tells him to keep believing. This film makes me believe in great things. This movie makes me want to hear stories and tell stories and make movies. It's 
truly a magical film full of life, love and laughter and tears and great child performances and masterful direction and a sweeping soundtrack. It's still 100% completely effective to this day. Such a great emotional impact. It's a cinematic treasure that brings out that childhood wonderment in me every time. And uh, I'll always be grateful for this film. And I'm glad it's uh, part of my generation, part of uh, growing up for me. So thank you, Steven Spielberg, for E.T., the extra special, extra terrestrial. I'd, so the in, inclusion, sorry. Yeah, I, re- I recommend it. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> just, to make, just to make sure. If you weren't sure what Jason was saying, he recommends it. It was interesting going back because I was, this was one of these movies I was worried about going back. I'm like, oh, I wonder if it's going to lose some of its luster. Yeah. I was like, oh, is it going to feel too slow to me? Am I going to see that the acting's not as good? But no, damn it. That movie still works. It really does. Totally. I think Roger, it is timeless and there's not, yeah, I don't find that much to it. It is dated, but it's not dated just because of the, the setting it doesn't take away anything from the film and the fact it still has emotional gut punches. That's man. That's just a testament to the film itself that it does it. Absolutely. Completely. Totally agree. Yeah. Economists that they used to do where they would broadcast it on TV kind of around Thanksgiving. That's one of the things I do miss is that those television movie events. And then everyone would talk about the next day and everyone just getting into it at the same time. And, you know, it's not one of those, oh, back in the day, it was so much better. It's just, it's just so cool to be able to share an experience like that with other yeah, that's people. That's exactly what I was going to say. Shared experience that you could bond over. Yeah. yeah. And we're just, yeah, we just seem to be missing all that stuff more, more and more, which is kind of a bummer. And um, yeah, I'm really hoping now I'm like, oh yeah, I got to get my kids to watch this and hopefully they get it this time being a little bit older, what this is all about and just, God, just how it works. Just amazing. Right that little ugly alien he just fell in love with i can't believe it i would definitely recommend it if you haven't watched in a while yeah definitely go back and and check it out uh let us know if you're crying again watching it too after all these years because uh i got misty eyed i really did i thought i was like oh crap tears are gonna come and somehow somehow i kept them in check but it was close great stuff bill yeah it's a an absolutely wonderful movie yeah 40 years going strong Um, So I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. A quick request from us here at the All 80s Movies Podcast. Please take the time to subscribe, give us a review, and rate us. Those subscribes and reviews really help us to continue producing the show. If you want to reach out, you can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook Meta at All 80s Movies Podcast or tweet us at Podcast All 80s. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone. Bill, I'll be right here. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world. Now I'm crying.